Free Talk Live, you can take control of the airwaves if you dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Dale. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you the features on the site for free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. There's a lot to talk about here tonight. Hopefully, uh, you will take control, though, and bring up things that uh, are interesting to you at 800-259-9231. Otherwise, I want to start out with uh, the economy, because those of us who run in the liberty circles have been led to believe that there will be hyperinflation at some point, that uh, it just hasn't hit yet. And, of course, the question is, why? I mean, if you look at the numbers... You can see that the money supply has apparently been doubled. That's my understanding of it. I'm not an economist. I've just, you know, I've seen some presentations on this, and I believe the presentations that that I've been shown. And so you think, well, if the money supply has been doubled, then prices should be roughly doubled. Yes. Uh, I mean, that seems like a general statement. If Uh, you read Dishonest Money um, uh, by Joe Plummer that we have available at gold.freetalklive.com, you'll be armed a little better to answer this question. However... I still wonder, when does the hyperinflation come? Well, I mean, I'm glad it hasn't hit yet. Yeah, Some things have gone up. I don't know if it's, it's due to the money supply specifically, but I know it seems to me that food has gone up in costs. Yes, I would it's, say so. It seems to me also. But um, I know that the money supply has been collapsing at the same time. I mean, um, you know, the loans, a lot of mortgage loans and things collapsing. House, housing prices for sure are dropping still. They're not ready to stop dropping yet. Right. Um, and that's actually lingering longer than the predictions I heard. Uh, the actual drop in housing prices. So and that a lot of that is a collapse of money supply. So while they're printing it, there's also there's also some imaginary money that's going poof. Well, that's so. that's also what I'd heard because I remember a few months back I saw a story over at LouRockwell.com that, in point of fact, the money supply was deflating. So I've I've gotten conflicting information. I don't really know, but maybe Kevin Fitzgerald can help us over at Minionville.com with his uh, story. Four reasons that hyperinflation hasn't hit the United States yet. So I'm going to throw these out there and then tell me what you think about this. Okay. okay? Uh, everything the, the amateur armchair economists here, yeah. right? Well, I mean, anybody can call and comment here, of course. <laughs> I wish Jason Osborne, uh, the, the, the owner of Sickle CAI and a PhD in economics, would uh, call in and, and comment. Everything we know about classic economic theory suggests the U.S. economy should be experiencing Zimbabwe-like hyperinflation right now, thanks to the nearly $2.2 trillion that the U.S. Federal Reserve has pumped into the system. But we're not. Yet. Classic economic theory says that money supply can be used to stimulate the economy, and our central bankers seem to agree. That's why they pumped more than $1 trillion into the economy, engineered countless bailout bonanzas for zombie institutions, put Detroit on life support, and delivered a bunch of financial band-aids to the trauma ward, all in a desperate bid to make Americans feel better about the current global financial crisis. To their way of thinking, the trillions of dollars have been a success. That's why any meeting of the group of eight nations looks more like a mutual affection society with central bankers eager to claim credit and backslap each other in congratulations for having avoided the Great Depression, too. But by taking the federal balance sheet to more than $2 trillion from $928 billion in 2008, so there's your first number, so balance sheet to $2 trillion, from $928 trillion, they've created a situation that should have resulted in an epic inflationary spike to accompany the 137% increase in liabilities. Yet, it hasn't quite happened. 
Core inflation, which denotes consumer prices without food and energy costs, has actually decreased from 2.5% in 2008 to 1.5%. Now, those, of course, are the government's numbers about inflation. Presently, that has many investors who have heard the siren call of the doom, gloom, and boom crowd wondering if they're worried about nothing. So what gives? Well, according to uh, Fitzgerald, uh, there are four reasons that we have yet to see hyperinflation in the United States. Number one, banks are hoarding cash. Despite receiving trillions of dollars in taxpayer-funded bailouts and lived through a litany of shotgun weddings designed to reinvigorate the shattered lending markets, most banks are actually hoarding cash. So instead of lending money to consumers and businesses like they're supposed to, banks have used taxpayer dollars to boost their reserves nearly 20-fold, according to the Fed. The money the bailout was supposed to make available to the system is not actually passing go, but rather getting stopped by the very institutions that are supposed to be lending it out. You know, um, I, I have a confession to make at this point. Uh, I was having a conversation with, as I just mentioned, Jason Osborne about this very subject. The hoarding? Because- but, um, hold well, on, I'm getting to that. About why don't why aren't we having hyperinflation? Mm-hmm. We're this is should be hyper. You said we're gonna have hyperinflation. So I was asking him these these same questions, and he said, in fact, just what's being said right here is that the banks aren't lending the money out; they're hoarding it because they're afraid that the, you know the, they know that the bank that hoards the least amount of money is the next one to go. So he mm. you know he did it, answer it, that. It might also. I mean, the thing is too, uh, if you can anticipate these booms and busts. You know when to sell off your investments and to hoard cash so that you can wait until prices drop and buy things. Now, banks, I mean, I, that, that's not the way they work. Presumably, they, they lend out money, obviously, instead of uh, investing things. But but um, I, I wonder also how many people are just sitting on money waiting for the deflationary part to stop so that they can invest and then benefit from the net, from the inflationary cycle. You mean people outside of banks? Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, the three-year average annualized loan growth rates were 9.6% before the crisis. Now they are shrinking by 1.8%, according to Money Magazine. Reason number two, the United States exports inflation to China, which remains only too happy to continue to absorb it. Now, what this means is that low-priced products from China help keep prices down here. And this is critical to something that many in the China is manipulating their currency crowd fail to grasp. If China were to unpeg the yuan and let it rise by 60% or more, it's supposed to be undervalued by, we'd see a jump in prices here in everything from jeans to tennis shoes, toys, medical equipment, medicines, and anything else that we import in bulk from China. Yeah. Chances are the shift wouldn't be dollar for dollar or even dollar for yuan, but there's no doubt it would be significant. Many economists I've talked to privately think 25 to 35% is probable. So the next time you hear a buy American extremist, you might want to share this little inconvenient truth. Now, before I get a bunch of hate mail about this, let me just say I want to buy American too. I'm all for supporting our native industry and our own domestic job markets. But in today's world, made anywhere is really hard to do and even harder to support. It really is. I mean, if you if you look, I, I've seen you know stuff on this, and if you look for a toaster that's made in the United States. You're not going to find it. If you do find it, it costs two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's difficult to find things that are made in the United States. And you know, this isn't the easiest question to answer, and the easiest one that people want to hear from you know libertarians. But uh, let me you know let me let me trot it out here real quick. The fact is, if we didn't have all the regulations that we have on manufacturing businesses that aren't on manufacturing businesses in China, and we didn't have the minimum wage that the China doesn't have a minimum wage, and 
we didn't uh, have all these immigration restrictions on people coming into this country so that they would they can come here they could work mm-hmm. for a low wage um, they could they could live you know and, and you know work in whatever conditions they chose or whatever it was that they want to do if we didn't have those things then we would be competitive but if you think that you can take a class of of, uh, of people that are used to getting uh, you know spoiled they're spoiled 20 dollars an hour um, and living in and uh, working in factory, uh, factories that have uh, you know wheelchair ramps and all mm-hmm. the other things that it is that uh, you know that they would need for these uh, you know for these to meet these regulations. God knows what these incredible amount of regulations. And then you're going to put a product on the market that's going to be competitive. You're just wrong. And the people that want to restrict trade into the United States, they know that's true. What they want is they want the average person to have to buy a toaster at $20 a pop. They have to pay more, which is going to impoverish poor people in this country even further. Sure. I mean, I think you meant $200 a pop. What did I say? 20 $20 a pop? I'm sorry. Yeah. You, 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 a toaster, perhaps you would pay $20 at Walmart. But yeah, $200 a pop would be what it would be for um, a, a toaster. And you can imagine what it would be like for poor people. Would they have... Three color televisions in their house? Uh-uh. Would they have a toaster? Would they have all these things? No. Poor people would be poor like they were back in the old days. Yeah. So if you, um, you know, if you allow people to come to the country if they want to, to work for what wage they want to work for, to work in what conditions they want to work under. And yes, I understand some of those are going to be what we would call sweatshops. But all we're doing at this point is exporting our sweatshopness to China. Toll-free number is 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. But, Mark, at the same time, I mean, you use the term sweatshop, and that really conjures up some nasty imagery. The, the, the truth is, without all those regulations, there would be a lot of competition uh, available in those industries, and it's very likely they would compete based on working conditions to get the best class, you know, That much is true, workers. too, as, as you found the better quality workers. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. If you're paying more than $14.95 per month for DSL, you are paying way too much. It's time to make the switch to DSL Extreme, the nation's number one internet service provider. DSL Extreme is fast, and at $14.95 per month, it's cheaper than dial-up. Plus, you get free spam protection, a free modem, and 24-hour-a-day free local tech support with no setup fees. Service restrictions apply. Call 1-866-2-GET-NET. That's 1-866-2-GET-NET. Or go to DSLExtreme.com. Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. Just dial in toll-free 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Dale. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, so enjoy those on us, uh, including, by the way, the archives. If you've missed a moment of the show, don't worry about it. It's right there on the front page of the website. In fact, just put up the brand-new torrent for the month of October, so you can download all of the shows that we did in October in one fell swoop for free right there on the front page of the site at freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. The show is brought to you by the Free State Project. Your best chance at achieving liberty in your lifetime is here with us in New Hampshire. Uh, come on up here. Get involved because there are hundreds of people who have already made the move. There are already some very, very exciting things happening both in the uh, the realm of uh, politics this year, uh, this year. There were some great successes uh, in the political realm. I'm, I'm, 
I still think politics is the uh, the worst return on investment, but here in New Hampshire, you can get a return uh, on your investment, unlike in many other places where all of your political efforts are for naught, it seems. So we've seen success even with a few hundred early movers. We're expecting to have 20,000 people move here, and currently the numbers of signers, the people that have committed to move to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project, are hovering close to 10,000. So we're, we're increasing. Um, and want to get to 20,000 sooner rather than later. I want to get you here regardless of whether that number hits 20,000 sooner rather than later. So be an early mover like we are and uh, get go learn more at freestateproject.org. Uh, again, freestateproject.org. This is uh, hands down the most exciting liberty movement, I think, in the world today. And it's it's great. Lots of uh, civil disobedience and non-cooperation going on. Not all the news is rosy. However, we did just find out that our friend Kurt Hoffman, uh, one of the local activists here in the Keene area who was uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know, out of line in the courtroom by... Uh, well, it's a matter of opinion. Right. According, by, to Bur- according to the Burke, the Burke he was. Right. By the judge's standards, he was. And instead of letting him out, as he did with me when I essentially ate some crow and said my mea culpa to him, uh, I was allowed to get out. Kurt has not been. The word came back today that Kurt... Uh, motion to essentially be released. He was sentenced to um, 180 days on a contempt of court charge because, basically, because he told the judge he wanted to be uh, told please when the judge was demanding that he <laughs> he sit down. And so the road man didn't like that very much. Hit him with 180 days. And so Kurt I, uh, Kurt apparently apologized to him this morning. Um, it wasn't. I don't think anybody but his wife was there at the time. So I don't know exactly what transpired. But the word did come down that Kurt is the order. The order was made that he will continue his six-month sentence. He's been in jail for an entire month at this point. It's also it um, needs to be stated that the Kurt has been hurt rather badly by uh, being true. knocked down uh, while in handcuffs, uh, and it may be that uh, what the intent here is that they don't want to let him out because. Well, he's in a wheelchair currently, and and half of his face is slack. It looks like he yeah. had a stroke. This is a young man. I, he's he's probably younger than I am. Thirty five, maybe. Something yeah, like something that. like that. So, you know, not your average guy for having a stroke, and he looks really rough. And I can't get a doctor in there to see him. Um, they, they want you can't even get a call back, can you? No, nothing. So this is the current situation, uh, and this is one of the reasons that we need more people here sooner rather than later. If we had more activists, we have more sway. And things like this, injustice like this, would be, I think, less likely. So come on over to freestateproject.org. Visit us also at freekeen.com to get the latest on, on Kurt's situation. All right, so we continue, though, with uh, Minionville.com and their story from Kevin Fitz, uh, Keith Fitzgerald, rather, about why four reasons that uh, the U.S. has not yet experienced hyperinflation. He points out that uh, the reason number one is that banks are hoarding cash. So they've been told to lend this cash out that the Fed's handed them, but they aren't doing it. Um, so if they were to be loaning that cash out, then we would see some inflationary aspects because of that. Second reason is that the United States is exporting its inflation to China, which at this point is remaining happy to continue to absorb it. However, if China were to unpeg the yuan and let it rise by 60% or more that it's undervalued by, we'd see a jump in prices in all of the Chinese products that we buy on a regular basis. So that hasn't happened yet either. In fact, uh, he points out that the interconnected nature of business and global manufacturing chains, not to mention the payment system, makes 
uh, makes it nearly impossible to just buy American. Granted, perhaps that's part of the problem, but that's a subject for another time. The lessons were learned in the 1930s are clear, and they must be acknowledged. Protectionism only makes matters worse, no matter how we feel about it personally. And indeed, that's what you were touching on, Mark, is if, if uh, the, these people that want to demand, want to force people to buy American, get their way, and you know, they, they manage to forcibly prevent people from outsourcing their jobs and, and moving their companies overseas to reduce costs, that will have a tremendous effect on the economy here, and the poor, the poor people of America will become ever more impoverished as a result of it. Uh, plus, if inflation hits, that'll make it even worse for the, or when inflation hits, it'll make it even worse for the poor. I mean, they're going to get the, the ass end of that stick, too. Yeah, it doesn't go well. I mean, the, the minimum wage that they're earning uh, is, is not going to go, it's not going to be worth more. Number three, third reason uh, that hyperinflation has not yet hit, consumers are still cutting back. Therefore, the spending that normally helps pull demand through the system is simply not there. I don't know how things are in your neighborhood, but where I live, people are still cutting back. Indeed, data from the U.S. Department of Commerce and the Federal Reserve Board show that consumer spending growth averaged 1.4% a year prior to the economic crisis and is now shrinking at a rate of 0.7. Now, what this means is that people have figured out that it's more important to save money than it is to spend it. And given that consumer spending makes up 70% or more of the U.S. economy, this is a monumental change in behavior that all but banishes the last uh, vestiges of the greed is good philosophy espoused by Michael Douglas as Wall Street pirate Gordon Gekko in 1987. Finally, number four, businesses continue to cut back rather than hire new workers. Therefore, wages and wage inflation figures are lower than they would be if the economy was truly healthy and the stimulus was working. This is especially tough to stomach because it means people are still being marginalized, laid off, and part-timed instead of being hired. And that means that most of the earnings growth we've seen this season has come from expense reductions rather than top-line sales growth. And those are two very different things. But while this is tough, uh, it's also helped keep inflation lower than it would otherwise be. Prior to the financial meltdown, the job growth averaged about 1% a year over the last three years. Now it's falling by 4.2%. The upshot? Well, any one of these factors could change at any time, and that means investors who are relying on the Fed's version that everything is okay and that the government is managing inflation may be in for a rude awakening. The only thing the Fed is doing is managing to manipulate the data, and even then, not very well. So there you have it. Right. They they attempt to, they they do manipulate the data, but you can't manipulate it all without uh you know there's just too many people involved in the process, and they just that won't fly. But they do their very best. So uh, those of you amateur or professional economists listening to the program that have just heard those four reasons why hyperinflation has yet to hit the United States, wondering what you think. Uh, is, he, is he on the ball? Is he on target with that? It sounded, sounds like it makes sense to me what he's saying. I'm surprised he didn't mention the, the money, the, all the electronic money that's collapsing right now, because that seems to me like a big factor. As a counterbalance? There are still foreclosures happening that are where the money is just not, they're not going to get paid back. You know. Right, because and when they when they loan money for whatever it is, when they loan money, they are essentially the banks are authorized to create it from thin air. So right. that's a that's a very inflationary process. But when those loans are defaulted on, then the money goes all away. that that's money disappears. Probably, that's probably a bigger factor than even the printing money and the electronically produced money by the by the um, central the banks and by the Fed, because um, they fra- fractional reserve banking creates like this exponential growth in the existing money. You can take control of the airwaves. Your thoughts on this or whatever you want to talk about goes at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 
Coming up, Contractor Crackdown. We'll explain what's happening, and this is Free Talk Live. This Your Family Today tip is brought to you by Ovaltine, nutritious vitamins and minerals and a delicious chocolate taste for your picky eaters. Be sure to visit us at OvaltineUSA.com. With kids, food battles are more about control than about food. If you want to avoid a battle with your picky eater, give them a say in what they eat. At dinner, let them choose between broccoli or fruit salad. At the supermarket, give them three cereals to pick from. The more control they have, the less there is to argue about. For more tips like these, visit us at Parenthood.com slash YourFamilyToday. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. Just dial in toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL-CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Dale. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. And the features include the wiki with over 2,000 pages created by listeners like you. Go to wiki.freetalklive.com and get interactive. Have you heard of the Millionaire Patriot? You should. He has five days of firearm trainings, firearms training waiting for you, all for pennies on the dollar. Plus, if you act fast, the Millionaire Patriot will give you a free Springfield Armory XD pistol in the caliber of your choice. Go to FrontSight.com for your training and free gun. That's FrontSight.com. All right. We continue with your phone calls about anything. Go to Matt in Illinois on the amp line. Hello, Matt. Good evening. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Um, well, I had a interesting day um i had to uh first off i had to go to pay my um for my village sticker on my car okay this this was upsetting it's just upsetting because i i decided to give in to the extortionist i paid late i wasn't going to do it but i live in an apartment and it would be easy for them to come at night and tow my car away so So Point of information. I don't you, want to take Matt, that chance. You, you live in Illinois. You, you mentioned a village sticker. Does that mean that in Illinois you have to get a tax stamp from the uh, from the the town that you live in? That's correct. Where where I live, if I don't have a sticker on my car, they are allowed to, and they will come into people's driveways Jeez. and tow their cars if they don't take their cars. Now, is this something that you have to? So you have to pay a state. Uh, registration fee on a yearly basis plus a town, or is it just the town, or how does it work? No, there's the state has the license plate renewal every year, so you need a sticker on your license plate, mm-hmm. and then you need a sticker in your window for the village. Hmm. And not every village has this. The village that I have doesn't have it. This is the first time. Uh, I've, I, I've only been living here for six months, and this is the first time in my life I've had to actually buy a village sticker. Gotcha. All and right. I was I was going to I was going to protest it, but I I don't want to take the chance yep. because they will come and, and steal my car. Well, I agree with you. I think that I I know that you happen to be a Free State Project uh, participant. You're eventually planning a move to New Hampshire, and I think That's that right. one of the things that one of the themes that I think you'll you'll find common on this this program amongst the hosts is that. It may be tempting to want to do things like that where you are, but if you don't have the the activist force to back you up, then you're likely to get rolled over by the you know the steamroller that is the violence of the state. Um, so I, I think you made the right decision there. It makes sense to go along to get along at least until you can get around p- other people that are they're willing to back you up. And even as we've seen uh, up here, there's still we still have a problem with tyrants in New Hampshire, but at least we've got a, a network of people that can that can help out. Well, and a lot right. of it too is even if you. Uh 
even if you get rolled over as you described it, at least there's uh some some PR that we can get out of that and the support and you know that's um that's kind of the point of civil disobedience. You know that there's going to be some kind of sacrifice or that there there may be at least mm-hmm. and at least you get something out of it. That's a good point. So Matt, right. tell your if story. I, Go ahead. If I if I was in in New Hampshire, I I would I probably would not have uh, taped. But but that's not the the reason why I called. There's there's a, a lady friend of mine, and um, she's she's doesn't even have a car. They they actually took her car, and she's not uh, very wealthy. In fact, she's uh, living on disability. She has a son, and um, I help her out where I can. And one of the ways I help her out is I take her um, about it's about a ten mile trip. I take her to a place where she can sell her blood plasma, hmm. and wow. uh, I I take her twice a week. The first the first time uh, first day she goes there she gets twenty dollars, and the second day she goes there she gets thirty. So if I take her twice a week, it's an extra fifty dollars a week for her. Uh, but she needs the ride. That's nice of you. So she's. She took her her son to school this morning, and she told me the story. Uh, when she got in the car, she was late, and I asked her why she was late showing up. And she had to talk to the dean of the school. Her son's in um, her son's in junior high school, and she was talking to the dean, and the principal of the school, and the uh, detective that's stationed at the school. Uh oh. And her son's been sick lately. He's been ill, and she's been keeping him home. You know, there's all this stuff going on with the flu, and she didn't want to send him to school while he was sick to infect the other students. Well, it turns out if she doesn't have a note from the doctor, the detective will give her a ticket. Oh, my gosh. And they will fine her for not for her son not being in school. That's crazy. Out. That she is should just send that's him to school that's... and let them deal with figure out whether he's sick or I not. I guess so. Is, yeah, they're trying to incur well, an expense on her that that might be extraneous. I mean, he may have just a mild cold, uh, you know, cold or something, or he may, uh, you know, maybe something they can handle at home. Well, and... as though you need to take a trip to the doctor to ascertain whether you've got the flu. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. and or or just whether it's just it's the flu or or sickness. And if as a parent. You can't tell whether or not your child is too sick to go to school or not, as if you have to defer to the doctor mm-hmm. to let them know. So hey, the I, rules I, are the I, rules. I, blah, blah, I'm, blah. I'm, I'm you know, getting very angry at the uh, bureaucrats at the school. Um, and, you know, this, this lady, she knows how I feel about all this stuff. We have nice talks about it. Um, she's not quite as on board as I am, but she's getting there, and she understands my point of view, and and she's telling me, calm down, you know, I don't want you getting too mad, and because um, they they let her off the tickets and they let her ride. I'm going, yeah, but what if they had ticketed you? You can't afford to pay them. You don't have any money. And she goes, I know. And she goes, if I, if that had happened, they would have taken him to the juvenile home. Oh man. Jeez. So, and, and then she says, and then they would have kept them for two days, and after that, they would have kept them and started demanding the money until she paid. That's uh, wow, the holding that's your ransom. son for ransom. Yeah. Nice. That's right. We need the that's system. Right. That, well, we yeah, need the system to protect and, poor people. And yeah. I think, yes, that is the point. 
these are this this woman and her son are are very poor. They're they're at the bottom of the barrel. They're they're living off of welfare. Uh, she can't find a job right now. She's not real healthy. Um, and I mean, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm taking her to to so she can get fifty dollars a week extra so she can afford to eat. Uh, and she's she's the, the our landlord has her. She's her rent is paid for by the state. So this is a school system that's supposed to be helping out these kind of people. How the hell is that helping? Oh my gosh, what an awful story! So yeah. this is just—it's right in line with the way these people work. I mean, their their tools are violence, threats, extortion. Uh, in this case, holding a child for ransom. I mean, they, these people are a criminal enterprise from top to bottom. Right, and to be fair, they 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 did give her a break. They didn't take it her. <laughs> And they would have probably if she had been, um, because the, I live in a suburb that's that's not it's uh, the suburbs, you know, got some pretty wealthy people in it, but still, it's just. Well, they they a, gave her a, a break story. so they could be seen as nice guys, and so they could also well, threaten her into compliance. And they that way they don't have to feel bad about doing it, uh, you know, next week or whatever. What's she gonna do? Yeah. Is she gonna send uh, her son to school anyway? Just all right, the hell with it. Here, have a sick kid. Well, yeah, she she just can't let her write. She can't let them. Um, she can't let them. Uh, uh, she can't let him be sick anymore. He will have to go to school if he's sick, or she will have to take him to the doctor. And she can't really afford to be going to the doctor right. either. I suppose the state would probably pay for that too. But you know, I mean, that's more burden on the taxpayer. Yep. Thanks for the story tonight, Matt. Any other thoughts? No, that was it. I, I just appreci- thought you guys would be interested. Yep, in that. I appreciate I uh, appreciate hearing from you and thank you. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. That's the SACL CAI toll free line. Boy, that's real compassionate of the state. Real compassionate towards people in need. It's crazy. It is just absolutely flabbergasting. <laughs> you can bring up anything and take control of the airwaves. The toll free number brought to you by SACL CAI is one eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. This is Free Talk Live. Listen up for something free from Ruger. From now until the end of the year, buy any new Ruger bolt-action rifle and receive a free Ruger-branded Carhartt jacket, both made in America. For more information, go to Ruger.com slash Carhartt. That's Ruger.com slash C-A-R-H-A-R-T-T. Ruger rifles are known for their rugged reliability, handsome style, unique design features, and represent the best value in rifles. Go to Ruger.com and check out a Ruger rifle today. Live, bring up whatever you want. Just dial toll free to 1 800 259 9231. That's the SACL CAI toll free line 800 259 9231. Tonight it's Ian with you, and Dale, and Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you the features on the site and in ask you for your support on a voluntary basis to help us out. One of the ways you can do it is by voting for us. We do need your votes on a monthly basis. If you've yet to uh, vote in the month of November, we still need you to go to vote.freetalklive.com. 
and cast your vote for the show. It helps keep us uh, in the number one position, which we are not in right now. I believe we're in second place. Yeah, but we're down by, um, well, more than a dozen votes, and uh, it's it's kind of disconcerting. Uh, So head on over to vote.freetalklive.com. Makes a big difference for us. Brings new people to the show. Helps spread the ideas of freedom. Vote.freetalklive.com. Interested in journalism and passionate about liberty? Learn about print, broadcast, or investigative journalism by interning at a newspaper, media network, or state policy organization. The program includes a week-long career workshop, a stipend, or stipend, excuse me, and uh, housing assistance. Receive uh, mentoring and job search assistance during and after your internship. Placements are available during the spring, summer, and fall. Apply for a spring placement for spring fl- placement by November the fifteenth, and for summer placement by January the thirty-first. It's uh, with the Institute for Humane Studies, and all you have to do is go to libertarianinternships.com. That's libertarianinternships.com. All right, toll-free number is 800-259-9231. Let's, let's continue on kind of this economic track, but from a different perspective. We've uh, started, you know, we started out the hour talking about hyperinflation, and then it led into a, dis- a brief discussion about how it is that the, uh, the government uh, cracking down on outsourcing will end up hurting the poor people in this, in this country. Uh, it's because we can get products from, from China and other places around the world that costs are kept low rather than seeing inflation maybe hit a little harder than it, than it might otherwise. And that helps the poor. Bringing in low-priced products from elsewhere help the poor because it gives them more money in their pocket at the end of the week. Whereas if they had to buy everything in the United States or that was manufactured, if they had to buy everything manufactured from the United States, it would increase their costs and uh, decrease their uh, standard of living. And so that's all true. Um, so let's look at it from a different perspective. This is from the South Florida Sun Sentinel. One of the things that uh, you might be doing if you are maybe not poor, poor to the point where you're, uh, where you're renting, but maybe you're somebody that is just barely able to afford to uh, buy their own home. You know, kind of one of the the homeowners on the lower end of the the economic spectrum. One of the things you might want to do in order to save a little bit of money is to hire an unlicensed contractor. To uh, bring somebody on board. I can tell you, I did it. Um, I've done it, too. (laughs) I've done it many times, and I've been more happy with the unlicensed ones than with the ones where I jumped jumped through all the hoops. Yeah. I've had because, mixed I results. Did it, right. I, because I didn't rely on the notion of their licensing and all that stuff mm-hmm. to, um, to you know, you? I've done that in the past and gotten burned. It didn't protect me. And so I was like, well, I can't count on that. So I'd much rather get word, you know, talk to some people who had good experiences with them and, and get people that I feel confident about through, through other channels. And so I didn't have that false sense of security from the licensing. And so I got people that I could count on and they were, they came through because they want me to hire them again someday. And recommend you. And, and recommend them to other people. And, uh, I've had excellent, uh, I don't have any horror stories from the unlicensed contractors I've used. Well, I'd say that the, you know, it, it clearly the, the the reviews would be mixed, but mm-hmm. I don't know that well, the reviews you, of the licensed guys are mixed too. Right. So. I don't know that one can necessarily say that licensed guys are going to be better than unlicensed guys or anything like that. I think no. you need to you need to do your due diligence either way. The only exactly, difference. exactly, and 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 the difference for me was that I I just didn't have the false sense of security from the licensing. And now, does that mean I won't hire a licensed one? No, of course not. But I just, but I, I want to get someone that someone recommended to me. I'm not going to trust that. Yep. So it's so from both perspectives, from the perspective of the homeowner that's looking to save some money, hiring an unlicensed contractor can allow that to happen. From the perspective of the contractor, being unlicensed can allow you to reduce your costs 
so you can pass those savings on to your customers. So there's a reason that you, you know, maybe number one, you don't want to be licensed because you're running an under, you're just living underground basically, to where you aren't paying taxes, uh, you haven't paid any licensing fees, you're just that kind of underground personality where you don't want to live above board, if you will. There are a lot of people out there like that, and so being an unlicensed contractor allows you to provide people with the services that you're an expert at without having to jump through all the state. Uh, mandated hoops and and the state mandated hoops aren't cheap. A friend of mine no. um, was basically I, I can't remember what the terminology is, but there's like a residential plumber and then plumbers that sort of outfit new houses, especially in mm-hmm. the Florida area where um, you know they, they they were building lots of new houses at the time. Okay. And he wanted to transfer over from uh, you know building new houses to you know for, working for someone building new houses to doing a residential work. And he didn't have the money to just go ahead and and uh, you know just open up his own company, get licensed, and all that other stuff. But he had all the tools and whatever. He knew he had the know-how and he had the tools. And he you know he intended to get a license and he did about you know nine months later. But in that interim, I employed him to uh, you know do some stuff on my house, uh, you know, and and a rental, and then re- recommended him to some friends. And in that, so he was able to make some money while he sort of studied for his contractor uh, license, and then went out and got it. And now he's got a few people working for him and business is going swimmingly. But if you just start up uh, the way the government wants you to and pay all their fees up front, sometimes that can uh, you know, ruin your business plan to the point that you're just not able to survive. Indeed. Let's go to the South Florida Sun Sentinel to get an example of how it is the government's helping everybody with this situation. They're, re- they're ready to assist and to, uh, to make sure that uh, people get the jobs done they're looking to get done. Government sucks. Or maybe not. A man in a tropical print shirt is buying a foreclosed Cooper City home for his daughter in Broward County, Florida. She stands nearby in the gutted kitchen as her dad discusses renovations with a contractor he's contacted through online classifieds. The father writes down the jobs they've negotiated on a sheet of notebook paper. They've just agreed on a price. When a bedroom door bangs open and two men in black bulletproof vests storm, shouting into the kitchen. Broward Sheriff's Office! BSO. The contractor who, it turns out, is unlicensed is handcuffed and hauled away. The Miami man was one of 15 people arrested on Tuesday and Wednesday during an unlicensed contractor sting run by the sheriff's office and the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation. The home buying, this is exactly what the economy needs right now, is to put a bunch of unlicensed contractors in prisons uh, so we can uh, artificially inflate the amount of money that the licensed people are getting. And just uh, before you you go and say, hey, we got another jerk off the streets, remember that this guy was likely employed in some business previously, you know, relatively recently, said, you know, I know how to do this work. I'm just going to put some, uh, you know, something on Craigslist and I'm going to feed my family, my kids and my wife I've got at home. My wife's working her butt off. I can't get a job and I'm going to do what it takes to get a job. This is absolutely disgusting. Sure that these, right, that is... these sick tax eaters would point guns at this guy that just wants to feed his kids. Well, and this is why uh, this is the, exactly the kind of way we ought to be functioning economically is people should be able to just go out and work for themselves. I think yep. it would happen a lot more and it would be a very good thing for, for almost everyone involved. Is that people not you know we wouldn't all have to go and work for a, some you know the big choice company. wouldn't just be yeah. a big corporation or a big company or or work for some you know obnoxious boss who exploits you and all this is if there were the opportunity to just go out and work for yourself and then people who did work for companies those companies would have to be much more competitive toward their employees and treat them better it's true because they know they they could just go out on their own if they don't have a a better environment a, a reason for being in that company instead of just all out working for themselves but the reason now is because. Men 
men in black are going to take your freedom away from you. I, I mean, I didn't realize this was going on. Sure, we've we've read stories from. I didn't uh, know SWAT teams were yeah. dealing with unlicensed contractors. What's I mean, so talk s- about a police state? My right. God! You know, these guys could have just as easily walked out and say, "Hey, Broward County Sheriff's Office, we got you, man. Um, we're gonna have to put you under arrest. Here's a ticket, and we're gonna see you in court on you know such and such day." That would still not be there, outrageous, right? It I, would I'm be. glad they uh, I'm glad they came in with the with the bulletproof vests on because they showed their true colors. Right. That would have been mm-hmm. that well, would have been typical colors. statism to come in and be nice about it and write a right. ticket and not look violent, even though it's absolutely at its core very violent. Sure, it's it's true, and I, I agree that uh, there's a from a public uh, you know service uh, on for the part of liberty, they've absolutely helped us out. However, um, what one needs to realize is that when you pull guns on people and you point them, sometimes things go wrong. And, uh, you know, this guy could have just as easily been shot dead. And these guys, these BSO uh, people, nothing would have happened to them. No, it's sick. This is Absolutely sick and disgusting, and it, in so many ways, you can see the the rampant uh, martial militarism that goes on in the police department. That they want to wear bulletproof vests and bust out pointing guns at people. But this guy is like you said, someone is going to act in self defense, not knowing. There's no time to figure out what's going on. You just know someone busted into your home and is like threat, shouting threats at you, and someone's just going to react instinctively, defending themselves, and then they've got an excuse to shoot them. And there's they will. there's yeah. more to this story. I mean, in fact, we still have to let the uh, the bureaucrats speak for themselves. What do they have to say uh, in defense of their uh, their actions? Hour two is coming up. We'll share that with you, and you can share whatever you want with us. Free Talk Live. Attention, all active duty members and veterans of the U.S. military. Your proud service to your country entitles you with the right to participate in special VA loan programs with benefits not available to the general public, like the ability to purchase a new home with no down payment or mortgage insurance, or refi with cash out up to 100% of your present home equity with less strict credit criteria. You are entitled to these benefits. Review them online at varadio.com. This is Tim Lewis from iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I want you to know that as a member or veteran of the United States military, you've earned special rights and privileges. On your feet and get the details at varadio.com. iFreedom Direct Corporation is a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, certain restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to varadio.com. varadio.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. Just dial in toll-free to 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Dale. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. And don't forget to join Dale over on his website, anarchyinyourhead.com. It's a a comic site, first and foremost, but you'll also get some opinion pieces uh, from Dale himself. So please head on over there and enjoy anarchyinyourhead.com. We're starting out uh, with a story we actually started last hour, but to bring you up to speed, you are just tuning in. It's from the Sun Sentinel, sun-sentinel.com, and it's about a sting operation. Not against drug dealers, not against a murderer or something like that, but against unlicensed contractors. That's almost as bad as a child molester. Apparently so. 
the Miami man was one of 15 people arrested on Tuesday and Wednesday during an unlicensed contractor sting. He had uh, just done a deal inside what he presumed was the person's home that he was at. Uh, apparently it was all just a setup. The the man that was uh, purporting to be the father of the woman, they probably aren't even really related. Uh, they were just... Uh, they were just setting him up, and they came to a conclusion about what they wanted him to do as far as contracting work. And as soon as they named a price, just like with a you know, just like with a prostitute, uh, as soon as the price was named, men in black carrying weapons burst out of a door, shouting "Bad Sheriff's Office!" and they arrested this guy. And as they did, uh, another fifteen, another fourteen people. Now, the home-buying father and daughter were actually undercover BSO deputies. The contractors, who were identified through their classified advertisements and flyers, were contacted by the professional regulation staff, pretending to be the new property owners, asking for bids on the work at the Cooper City House. Similar operations are being conducted statewide this week in Florida, including in Palm Beach and Miami-Dade counties, as part of the state agency's quarterly crackdowns on unlicensed workers in the 19 professions it regulates. We try to stick to people doing work that could easily cause safety issues if you improperly install exterior doors. They could blow in during a hurricane, said. <laughs> sure. I'm you, so worried. About you could that. come up with this up on anything. You could, I mean, somebody installing a faucet could be called a safety. Well, you know, children are turning these faucets. Yeah. They could, they could say anything. Uh, we, According to him, he is the Detective Bilyeu, the BSO's Economic Crimes Unit. Broward, Miami-Dade, and Palm Beach County residents filed 603 complaints with the state about unlicensed construction professionals. Economics last crimes year. unit, but they let these, they, but they give these bankers that uh, yeah. you know blew up the economy billions of dollars. But they're going to go after this guy that's uh, going to fix somebody's sink. Uh, they uh, apparently uh, residents filed 603 complaints with the state about unlicensed construction professionals last year. I wonder how many of those 603 complaints came from the licensed professionals. Just, I don't know. Just curious. Well, but you know, it, it, the thing is, is how many complaints were com- were filed against licensed professionals mm-hmm. too? So yeah, sure, unlicensed professionals probably do some shoddy work. So do licensed professionals. All you have to have done is deal with some, dealt with some licensed professionals, and you will know find that it happens. You've got to do your due diligence uh, one way or the other. There were 141 complaints about electrical, uh, unlicensed electrical professionals. Regulators expect more South Florida's slumping economy leaves more construction workers unemployed and looking for odd jobs and more homeowners looking for cut-rate work. So they are aware that their business will be booming, I mean, that is the business of arresting unlicensed contractors. They know that people are looking to cut their costs. They know that these guys are looking for extra work. Let's crack down on those desperate unemployed people. That's right. Let's protect... The the existing status quo. Let's protect those people that have paid us their licensing fees because that's what it really it's, is. It's a protection fee. Yeah, yes. It's, it's so they can. It's to keep. Uh, it's just like when you pay the mafia protection money. You know, if you don't it pay is. it, then there is nothing that is unlike the. the there's nothing about this business. that is unlike a protection racket. Except it's all right out in the open. They're not whispering things to you. You know, they're not visiting your storefront and and uh, making threats to you silently. They're just like laying it right out there in the open. Hey, if you do unlicensed work, we will put you in a cage. Well, that's that's the beauty of being the biggest the gang yeah. in town is that you don't have to, to you don't have to worry about some competing gang coming in and and giving you any trouble about when you extort your uh, your your, your the people in your your particular geographic area and that's what they do with uh, the smaller gangs is they you know they they shut them down because well they're competing 
Now, the detective in this case, who also happens to be a certified electrical contractor, played the father and was wired to record his conversations with the contractors. They love, they love this crap, don't they? The yep. cops, uh, you know, they get to lie, you know, because that's what this is all about. All of this is based on lies. The, the fact that they are able to catch these people is based on dishonesty. And we're supposed to think that there's something good about what they're doing. What they're doing is hurting people, and they're hurting the economy because they're preventing people from hooking up, meeting up with people that uh, people that are homeowners from meeting up with people that are willing to do the work on a voluntary basis. It should just be something that's between two individuals, but no, they have to get involved, and then they have to force all of us to punish these people by putting them in jail cells and things like that. Now, uh, they did apparently get permission to use the vacant house in the uh, in a subdivision, rig the main room with hidden video cameras monitored by deputies secluded in a bathroom. The unlicensed Miami contractor and the others arrested were charged and told to stop doing work until they obtained their licenses. Professional regulation staff gave them information on how to apply. Police, fabulous. Police would not name the contractors. BSO and state officials said the operations have a double purpose. So they didn't name the contractors. First off, these people are too dangerous to be working in the uh, the private sector, uh, you know, dealing with people. But they're they won't name them. What what what, what kind of this doesn't even make any sense. I mean, if they're there, if the reason that they're doing this is to preserve and protect the public, shouldn't they be naming these people? Now, I don't believe it does it for a second, uh-uh. but it just doesn't make any sense. These people are absolutely insane. We know who they're protecting. To We've show, to show no doubt. Uh, they say that there's a double purpose to the sting operations, to show construction professionals they need to do work legally or face the consequences, and to warn homeowners about the dangers of using unlicensed tradespeople. The pitfalls are many, say officials. Unlicensed workers can be poorly trained. So can, so can licensed workers. And are usually uninsured, so consumers could be liable if they're injured on their property. Right. Well, it, that much is true. It's absolutely true. Um, you were uh, looking at getting some work done around your house recently, mm-hmm. and you and I were talking about it because I, I felt that it needed to be done, too. And in this particular instance, although I knew some people that, that could probably do the work that we were talking about, they weren't going to be licensed. And I told you if I was doing this particular type of work, I would want somebody who was licensed. And you you went ahead and, and basically, not licensed, but insured, I should say. Somebody who's insured because, well, if something bad happens, and it could in this case, you know, you'd be covered. And that's what you did. These contractors often have nothing more than a cell phone, so they'll be hard to track down if their work is unsatisfactory. And some of them are criminals who shouldn't even be allowed inside the front door, said the sergeant. You know, if you're dealing with somebody who's not licensed... You can kind of make arrangements on payment. Um, you know, probably you, you have a little more leverage on payment arrangements mm-hmm. because you know it won't necessarily be half now and half when we're finished or or whatever. Um, and so they run off with half your money. You can be like, well, you know, what I'd like to do is pay you as the as the work gets done. Yeah. Uh, you know, daily or something like that. You can do that. You One should of, do that. In yeah, fact, you I, I made the mistake of giving like half up front, and then based on half when they're done. And on a relative, on a lot of jobs, on a relatively big, like several things, and uh, just a tip, you know, don't do that. They will push pressure you so much to do that, and then they will take forever to get the work done. Yeah. They might, you know, so live and learn, right? Uh, a little of, bit at a time, and and not half now, half later. That's you know, one unless of it's a small job. Contractors arrested in the Broward Sting had police had a police record, including an aggravated battery charge. Deputies discovered. Illegal prescription painkillers on another. See? See? These are bad, bad men. Of course, that was only uh, legal prescription painkillers, which doesn't mean anything about him being a bad guy. It's just that he's got some painkillers. 
A lot of people do that. And pain, perhaps. A battery charge. Aggravated battery. What is the difference between aggravated battery and regular battery? With a weapon. I see. And who knows how long ago that was, right? I mean, the aggravated battery charge could have been a decade ago. And so that's they're trying their best to really demonize these men uh, and make them... Oh, yeah, they're doing their very, yeah. very best, and it's it's absolutely ludicrous because, you know, I mean, what 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 were the circumstances of this aggravated battery? Nobody knows. Oh, okay. You'll love this final quote from the detective. Well, you and know. if they're licensed, then you know they don't have anything like that in their past. Yeah, of course, they couldn't have... They couldn't, right. <laughs> they couldn't be licensed and have an aggravated battery charge. You don't let someone who's unlicensed drive your car... And your home is worth much more than your car. That's the last point they have to share with you. Hmm. 800 persuasive, huh? 800- They're wrong. I do let unlicensed people drive my car. <laughs> yeah, I have to. Toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Latest on uh, military recruiting coming up. Your calls as well about anything. Free Talk Live. On Free Talk Live, we talk about investing in gold and silver as a hedge against inflation. Well, now we've teamed up with Midas Resources to offer you some very special rates on some of my favorite gold and silver pieces. I love the British Sovereign. It's about a quarter ounce, which is usable for a gold coin. They tend to be older and thus are numismatic and untracked by the government. They have the 100-year-old wow factor for the layman and are easily storable for emergencies. You can get them for only $288. Call 877-857-9938 or go to gold. FreeTalkLive.com. The shipping is the same as it is for one coin as it is for 20. So try to get as many as you can at once. 877-857-9938. Gold.FreeTalkLive.com. Talk Live, you can take control of the airwaves if you dial in toll-free to 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We've got the bulletin board system with over 500,000 posts. There's a lot to talk about, serious issues, fun stuff. You'll find it all free at bbs.freetalklive.com, bbs.freetalklive.com. We'd like to thank all the people who have ordered gold and silver at uh, gold.freetalklive.com. It has been uh, you know, quite, a, quite a surge recently. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's looking like people are concerned about the economy even more so. And I need to get around to it myself, actually. It, it, it's, it, it, it's something you don't want to put off. Uh, you know, gold's been spiking. You don't know what it's going to do. And It's tricky, though, because you always are wondering, well, is it going to go down tomorrow? Should I get, get it now or get it? later and i mean odds are good it's probably not i i'm probably going to buy some silver next time i, I make a purchase you can do that as well at, at gold.freetalklive.com um, I'm, I'm i'm a little bit more of a fan of silver these days but uh you know it spiked I, just recently and it hasn't gone down since then i've heard uh good things actually about silver right now especially well in the market right now especially and i think there's an expectation depending on who you talk to that gold might deflate some before it goes up Yep, different people have different ideas. <clears throat> gold is more ser- easily manipulated, as I understand it, by the gold market. The pe- you know people trying to monopolize the gold market Plus, at the moment. So. Silver is being used in all kind of industrial uh, uh, applications, and it's my understanding, and this is just hearsay. People, I'm not gonna you know I'm, don't take my word for it. It's my understanding there's less silver in the world right now than there is gold. Really, so it doesn't make much sense that silver is worth less than gold is but you know whatever um you can i will see what happens maybe it's just used in uh i don't know i don't know that though i don't know how to explain that i guess i don't either sure uh but we do have maybe people just like gold more yeah 
It's pretty. We we have gold and silver, and we I recommend that you uh, go over there and uh, you know get tw- when you get coins, get twenty coins at least. Yeah, we um, it's better for shipping. Lakota Nation silver rounds for twenty two thirty, and Walking Liberty halves at eight dollars and sixty nine cents. There was a spike in gold recently, but our prices haven't gone up in and silver. There was a spike in, and, and the, the rates haven't gone up. So go take advantage of them before Midas changes their mind. <laughs> it's uh, at gold.freetalklive.com. And it's a win-win for everybody because uh, number one, when you buy through gold.freetalklive.com, you're supporting um, Free Talk Live because we're getting a, a percentage of the sale for sending them the business. Uh, number two, you're getting gold and silver, which is very valuable to have on on hand in the in the, in the case of inflation because it protects your, your value and yep. protects the money that you have against inflation. Uh, number three, it's beneficial because you're helping Midas Resources, which is the, the same company that syndicates this radio program. So you're helping uh, make sure they get their bills paid so we can continue doing Free Talk Live on into the future. So really, it's a, a great way to get your gold and silver at gold.freetalklive.com. Uh, so I'm going to go to the uh, the email box here, and then Mark, you've got a story you want to tell us about military recruiting. It's been a while since we've talked about that topic, and uh, they've always been lowering their standards and lowering their standards, and now they have something to say apparently about well what the quality of recruits is like these days. First, though, to the email box, and Megan, she says, guys, uh, every hello everyone at uh, Free Talk Live. My name's Megan. I'm an 18 year old California girl currently experiencing her first tastes of adulthood. College, getting my own place, registering for a political party, she says, yay, libertarianism, and my first real job. I have a couple of questions to ask you. I hear you speak about buying gold and silver to back your funds. I think that's what you said. I'm worried about getting through these hard economic times, and I was wondering if you could explain the whole gold and silver thing to me. She has another question as well, but let's start there. So somebody who's totally noob to the ideas of gold and silver, how do you explain it to them? Well, um, I, I don't know whether we should uh, talk about why the uh, currency, why why the currency as it is today, shouldn't be backed by nothing when it used to be backed by gold. Um, let's let's quickly address that. Um, currently, our currency is uh, backed by nothing. It's backed by you know it's 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 debt created by the uh, the Federal Reserve. When the United States government wants some money. They go ahead and create some debt instruments called uh, Federal well, they, Reserve notes. Yeah, well, they they create debt, debt instruments called Treasury oh, notes, and there's different kinds: Treasury bills, Treasury bonds. They're tre- really backed by treasury violence. Bills. Well, <laughs> that's that, and that, and, and that's, that's a disturbing thing. Well, well, that's what and, legal uh, tender is. But it's, that's it's, not true. It's, it's just not true. What? It's, it's no. The, the legal tender. Um, you're you are required. By the government to accept that for who, all debts. But who's so not forth. taking it, Dale? See, it's not really backed by violence. It's, well, if you decide not to take it, well, it will, the violence will come out. Here, well, it's, like, it's like any other thing where if you disobey the law, and okay. they, they don't think the law is violent, but if you disobey it, then the it's, violence comes it's out. It's backed by violence, but in a very circuitous, uh, more circuitous fashion than what you guys are talking about. Nobody out there is saying, I don't want none of them Federal Reserve notes because I want them. If you don't want them, send them to me. I will take them. Mm-hmm, and, sure. Ian, would you like some? I'll take them. You're okay, right. Great. I mean, that's the now, thing. People but, will take them at this point. But uh, so the federal government creates these uh, t- treasury bonds, bills, uh, these treasury notes. They then, um, uh, you know, get some money from the Federal Reserve in the form of Federal Reserve notes. That's that's what these green bills are, and they're, they promise to pay them back. How does the federal government pay something back? It steals money. Steals money from 
the the average individual taxes uh, you know a ta- you know the taxpayers they're forced to pay so if they don't pay they'll be put in jail if they don't get want to get put in jail they'll liable liable to be tased or shot or whatever it is that they're going to do in order to get them to comply mm-hmm. that's the violence that we're that that they're really backed by i would agree with that because people want federal reserve notes and they know that the federal government will pay because well we're all slaves of the federal government in in sort of this new slavery kind of way and the reason people want them is because they you're right they're a monopoly and the reason they're a monopoly is because of the being backed by violence. Sure, they went and they shut if down. If there were alternative currencies being allowed, and and if they weren't shutting down things like oh, the, the Liberty, Liberty Dollar, Dollar with horrible threats and with well, actually no, more than threats. I mean, they carried them a out. Police raid. Um, a police raid. If they weren't and stealing all of the gold and silver that they had, and if they weren't doing things like that, then you probably wouldn't want those very bad. They would devalue very quickly because they suck. Okay. Um. So. So they're backed by violence. We're pretty clear that uh, at one point the the, uh, the the dollar was backed by precious metals, and now and when you it's say not. backed, that means that you could take dollars, and in fact, if you work at it like a cash register, as a, if you work as a cashier professionally, you may come across one of these eventually. If you work there for five, uh, half a decade, you well, might. Uh, that's how I that's how I got mine. Uh, yeah, but I that was nineteen eighty silver... something or nineteen ninety something. I mean, it's been another decade at least since then. And people are seeing silver certificates. It could happen, but it's rare. Saying, I came across a silver certificate when I was working at, uh, at the cash too. register. And so the, you will still be, you can still find these. I'm sure you can go and Google uh, what it looks like. Yes. Uh, or uh, rather, I guess, does Startpage have an images search yet? I, I don't know. Do. I'm, I'm, I, I couldn't tell you, but I would think that if you just put in silver certificate, you would you see an image of, of Startpage.com. Uh, all right. So you can go to Startpage.com and look up uh, silver certificate, and you can find out what the U.S. dollar used to look like back before, I think it was 1934, when they started to pull away the gold and silver backing from the uh, the, from the the money. In fact, it didn't say Federal Reserve note at the top. You go ahead and get your get your dollar out right now. Right now, it says Federal Reserve note. It used to say silver certificate, and the idea was that you could take those silver certificates into I don't know the Federal Reserve Bank or something like that. I'm not sure exactly where you'd take them. I imagine that would be where you'd go, uh, and you were supposed to be able to turn them in and get silver in return for them. Now, of course. If you still have a silver certificate today, they won't be honoring that particular agreement if you try to go and, and turn that in. Uh, but nonetheless, that's 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 kind of the evidence. It's all really the evidence that you need to prove to people, hey, look, people, this used to have silver behind it. You used to be able to trade these back into the issuer for silver. And you can still trade it for silver today if you go to uh, gold.freetalklive.com. You can order your own silver through uh, through minus resources. But it's not a fixed thing. It's constantly fluctuating based on the value of the dollar and the silver. Right, and so pulling the uh, the value backing away from the dollar allowed it to really start to fall in value. We can come back and explain more. It's Free Talk Live. Help Free Talk Live via the AMP program for just $3 per month, and you'll get access to exclusive call-in lines, a chat room, and a forum at amp.freetalklive.com. Talk Live. You can bring up anything if you dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That number brought to you by SACL CAI, 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Dale. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you the features on the site, so enjoy those on us. Uh, And those features include the Shrine of Female Listeners, the dozens of ladies that have taken the time to send us their validated photo or video to show that they are indeed listeners of this program. Go to shrine.freetalklive.com. See that uh, for yourself and get involved if you are a lady listener. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. And check out the Low Country Liberty Report. 
This Ridleyographer from Savannah, Georgia, focuses on pro-liberty issues from around the country. Liberty-oriented reports for liberty-minded folks. He does not pretend to be unbiased in reporting and tries to add a little humor to every report. Find his videos at lclreport.com or join the LCL group on Facebook or Twitter. It's lclreport.com. Now, we got an email from Megan. She is a self-described 18-year-old California girl, first experience, now just first, for now, rather, experiencing her first taste of adulthood. Uh, she's moving out of her parents' house. She's going to college, which technically going to college isn't really adulthood. <laughs> but nonetheless, you are moving in that direction. And she is wondering about this whole gold and silver thing. Backing the currency. She's heard us mention it. She's never really heard us get into detail on it. So we're kind of, I guess, giving an introductory course, as we understand it, to the idea of value-backed currency. And indeed, we started out by talking about the U.S. dollar and how it used to be backed by silver. You can go and look online. Go to startpage.com and uh, look for silver certificate, U.S. silver certificate, and and you'll find them. Um, It used to say silver certificate right there at the top. And then in the 30s, they stopped that. And then it was in the 70s that they completely pulled the gold standard, didn't they? Isn't that the case? Um, it was, uh, I think it was 1970 when the, all, all all precious metals backings of the, the the monetary units disappeared. But it was in the 30s in which they actually started confiscating gold and silver. Did they not? Or was it That's just correct. gold confiscation? I think it was 33 and um, I don't know. I don't think it was silver, just gold. Just gold. Um, so they actually stole people's gold from them, and what what ended up happening was essentially once they removed the backing, once they removed the the ability to turn the what what we know now as Federal Reserve notes or the, at then at that time silver certificates to turn them in in exchange for silver from the issuer, right. then at that point they could make it so they could print out as many of those as they wanted to because otherwise in order to print one of the silver certificates they would have had to have had silver in a vault somewhere that existed. To essentially have that on storage if, in case somebody came to claim it. Right. And what um, Megan here, um, you know, another thing that she sort of needs to know is that gold and silver have historically very been very good at holding their value. Back in Roman times, mm, you could yeah. get a nice suit of clothes for an ounce of gold. In the ni- in 1910, you could get a nice suit of clothing clothing for an ounce for the value of an ounce of gold. Mm-hmm. Today, you can get a nice suit of clothing for an ounce of gold. Essentially, loaves of bread, uh, you know, br- pretty much everything kind of holds its value against gold pretty well. Whereas the Federal Reserve note, it, it, depending on who you listen to, has lost somewhere between 94 and 97 neither good numbers, yeah. of its value Percent. since 1913, and most of that value since 1970 when the last bit of uh, metal-backed currency went away, mm-hmm. 90% of it. So The reason it's losing that value is because they're printing more and more right. and more. And so if you think about it like this, uh, this is, I think, the easiest way for me to, to grasp the concept of inflation. When you're in government school, they'll teach you that inflation is a rise in prices, and that's not true. Inflation, rising prices are a symptom of inflation. Inflation is an increase in the money supply. Sure. And, you know, I, I, I don't like to fight battles over uh, words that it appears to me have already lost their battles, but you are right. That, that well, print- that's a word worth I, correcting, I think. I think oh, well, um, that's, then someone would claim the same thing about anarchism, capitalism, uh, you know, any of those other words. And the thing about money and when it made that transition is it became a tool for transferring money from one group of people uh, or class of people to another. The people in control of the money and the people who uh, are able to, you know, there are people involved who know when these big booms and busts are happening. Yeah. And when you know, and, and Ron Paul talks about this too, the people who get the money first when there's, when there's an increase in the money supply, they can buy stuff and then there's a lag 
you know, before the, the, that that flood of money starts to reach other people and they start to buy things, and then right, and so. then inflation happens, and then the cost of pri- prices start to go up, and then and then uh, they've the people who had the money first benefit from it, and the people who get Correct. it later are suffering from the increases in prices. And the people that tend to get it first are like the government contractors, the military industrial complex. Those banks, are the people that yeah. get the banks. Those are the people that uh, they get that money first. So when they took the gold and silver backing away from the currency in this country, it essentially became open season for the Federal Reserve to just uh, go ahead and just start printing out as much of it as as much of the money as they wanted to. Now, they couldn't go too crazy because if they go too crazy, then, you know, inflation will happen uh, at a a hyperinflating rate. They'll destroy the monetary system because this is the question you have to ask for yourself, Megan, is would you rather steal, uh, you know, say you work at a cash register, would you rather steal $200 Two hundred dollars out of the cash register today. If you or were would a you thief, be, thief, right? Well, but right. I'm, I'm giving yeah. you an option of two things, Megan, um, and this is one or the other. That's what two is. So you get to steal two hundred dollars today, or you can steal ten dollars a day for the rest of the time you work there. And chances are very good that you'll work there for decades. And that's essentially the choice that the Federal Reserve gets to make. Right. They could tomorrow. Flip on the machines and print so much money that they would get wealthy, but they'd destroy the currency in the process. And the economy. And uh, people would blame them. And likely they would hang them from the highest lamppost they could find. So... If they could get a hold of them. Value was taken away, which opened up the Fed to be able to just print as print up as much as they want. And Dale touched on the the point about how essentially that allows wealth transfer. And the way that works is if you have $100 and there are there are let's say okay let let's just say there's only $100 in in circulation and you've managed to get them all now this is impossible it's an economic impossibility but let's just say you've got all the money in circulation all $100 of it and then the federal reserve just goes ahead and prints out another 100 so they've put another $100 into uh circulation your $100 just became worth half of what it was before because what happens with inflation is the there's a certain amount of goods and services out there in the marketplace and there's also a certain amount of dollar of dollars and so the more uh, you inflate the more dollars there are chasing if you will the same amount of goods and services so inevitably it's supply and demand right. essentially there's a supply of money suddenly that goes up so inevitably and, the and prices that, that have to ripples rise ripples through the market it doesn't happen suddenly but it, it happens uh, it does you know it happens as that money gets starts getting into circulation uh, and that's when it starts raising prices and I, and i think that a lot of the uh, investments that people make a lot of what they're doing is essentially just protecting from that. So when you feel like you're making money, a lot of times you're just holding your value. It's true. The numbers are going up. You're just holding your value while everything is is while everything is being devalued effectively. Right. If you if you're in a money market account or a savings account or or a checking account with interest, you're not even holding your value because the what they call um, the inflation rate is not the inflation rate they're mm-hmm. hiding those numbers from you with their with their skewed economic uh you know indicators what um in fact you need to be making <laughs> significantly more to be able to to hold value but that brings us to the second point Megan why should you buy gold and silver yourself and you know the people buy gold and silver for different reasons. Some people believe that uh, the, the, the the big the big one's coming. The economic collapse where you're going to be eating your cat is coming. And I don't know. I wouldn't propose to know. It's certainly happened in places around the world. It's it's not common, but um you know it's it's a possibility. In which case they want to be able to have a certain amount of uh, gold and silver for barter. I think that if that happens, you should have canned food, um not gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Now. <clears throat> 
what could happen is that, and I see, and as as I see happening, is there is going to be some kind of economic collapse. That I, I think the dollars had it. I think the dollars within a decade of its uh, its demise, and therefore precious metals will be a good thing to do business with. I don't think the entire economy will collapse, but you'll want to do a certain amount of business, and precious metals will help with that. Um, another thing you want is to hedge against inflation, which is sort of just a step off from what I was just talking about. Is if you put money in gold and silver now, then it will be worth more as they print more dollars, and so if you feel like selling it when you want to, when you need to have cash some, in, yeah, yeah, you need to have some liquid funds, then you'll have more money than when you started with. Other people also believe that gold and silver are spiking, um, and that you'll make some money. So it's essentially an investment. That that's a little trickier. I don't scenario. look at it that way personally. I, I I don't look at it as an investment, but it could be. I mean, certainly I bought I bought some silver years ago at nine dollars an ounce, and what'd you say it was eighteen or something like that or sixteen yep. right now? So I mean, ask the people that bought uh, stocks in their IRAs uh, two years ago whether they wish they had gold and silver now. Toll free numbers eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. It's real. You can hold it. That's valuable. More coming up. Free talk live. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. Talk Live, you can bring us anything. Style toll-free to 1-800-259-9231. It's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. And all the features there are totally free, so enjoy those. And if you like this show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, one of the ways you can do that is by becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for as little as 3 bucks a month. We'll take that money and reinvest it into the show and get on more radio stations across the country, bring more Internet listeners on board, expose new people to the ideas of freedom. Uh, again, head over to amp.freetalklive.com to learn more about the program and to uh, get on board. That's amp.freetalklive.com. Now, uh, we've been talking about gold and silver, and it was because Megan emailed. She's 18. She's in California, entering the world of adulthood, and she's heard us talking about gold and silver in the past on the show, and we you know, don't always uh, break down and explain what it's all about for somebody that's, that's brand new. To the ideas, and uh, I made a mistake when I was uh, saying that it was 1970 that, uh, that gold was that that all metal backed currency, uh, you know, from the United States stopped in 1970. It was 1971. Sorry. So I think that we've pretty much been through the basics here uh, about how it is that uh, the dollar in this country used to be backed by gold and silver, meaning you could exchange the dollars, uh, the bank or the Federal Reserve Bank, or whatever, for uh, for gold and, and or silver, and uh, now it's not. And that allows them to print out as much of the currency as they want, which results in increasing prices. It's an inflation of the money supply. It transfers wealth from you to the politically connected. It transfers wealth from you to the government. And it's just inflation is actually the most insidious form of taxation because it's unavoidable as long as you're using Federal Reserve notes. You cannot get away from that form of taxation in that the federal government prints prints out a whole bunch more new money and they have that money and that takes away value from the money that you have. 
And that's one of the big reasons in my book to buy gold and silver is to protect the value that you've earned. Because if you're just having your money sit in a bank account somewhere, as Dale pointed out, you're still behind the ball most likely because inflation could be as much as 10% or more. Uh, and you're maybe making 2% or 1% uh, on your bank account. And so even people with the best investments out there are really just still kind of treading water as far as uh, keeping up with the, the, the rate of inflation. And, of course, as we've seen, uh, they've dramatically increased the money supply again, and we were talking out about, the, about that at the beginning of the show tonight, is how that what are some of the reasons are that we haven't seen hyperinflation yet here in this country, and there are a few of those, and if you missed that, you can go and grab the archive tonight at freetalklive.com. But the reason that, that I've purchased gold and silver is, is twofold. I like the idea of having something in the event that I need to use it for some sort of emergency purposes. I do like that idea. But I also like the idea of protecting the value that I've earned. And I know that if it's if my money's just sitting in a bank account, sure, it's easy to access. Sure, it's easy to use that money to buy things and stuff like that. It's much more difficult to buy most products and services with gold and silver. So for the most part, my gold and silver just sits. You know, it, it sits in a, in a vault somewhere, and, and that's what it does. It just sits and protects my value. Because when I bought that silver at $9 an ounce, it's now, what, $18 an ounce. Um, I, I noticed that some people, you know, in in the Free State Project, uh, people local in New Hampshire are starting to use silver more and more and allow people to pay for things with silver. And sometimes you get a little premium. You get a little discount because uh, based on silver? the current value of silver. They, yeah, there'll be a little, you know, they'll, they'll charge a little bit less based on the current value of silver than they would for straight FRNs. I actually, I, I hope we see more of that. And I know that amongst the liberty activists here, there are, there's a fair amount of trade that uh, in products and services that is done with silver as the, you know, the, the barter currency or whatever. And I think that's good. In fact, I when I sold a gun of mine uh, recently, I accepted silver as an, as an option, as a payment option. And indeed, it was purchased for silver. So that was great. You know, the, the gun was just sitting around. Now the silver's just sitting around instead of having cash go into a bank account and lose value day after day. So if I were to take all that silver that I, I purchased at $9 an ounce and sell it all right now, which I wouldn't do because then it would just turn it back into the funny money, uh, then I would probably get twice the amount of money that I had originally paid for it, you know, at $18 an ounce. But that doesn't mean that I have twice the money. It just means that I've protected the value that I originally had. See, what I'm, do you see what, is that making sense? Right. Sure. It, it, it could be an increase in value, but it, it very well may not be, like you said, because it could just be that you've protected yourself from, from the inflation tax. Right, which is why I don't see it. I don't think of it as, a, as an investment. And so that's why once I get enough money to buy up another order of silver, I'll probably just go ahead and do it. Because if you just sit and wait and you roll the dice as to whether or not it's going to lose value or not, as, as though you're treating it as an investment. Oh, you know, it's so expensive now. Maybe it'll go lower. Maybe it'll go lower. And you wait and you wait. Well, if you keep waiting, maybe it'll go higher. And then maybe you shouldn't have waited. So if you're, if you're like me and you just want to put it away, then I think that once you just have enough money to make a purchase, you should just do it and, and put it away. And then you know, keep some money in a bank account because it makes sense to have money to spend on things like power bills and, and stuff like that. Obviously, you're not going to be able to pay your power bill or the oil bill or something like that uh, in silver and gold. So hopefully we've explained it, uh, Megan, but she also has another question. So we continue here with her email. She says, also, I was wondering if you have any ideas on how someone so young and so poor, thanks to college, could help the freedom movement. You guys inspire me so much, and I download absolutely every episode and listen to them daily. Thanks so much for speaking out and for giving me hope for a more free world. So, ideas on someone uh, very young, 18-ish, how they could help the freedom movement. I have an idea. Okay. 
she could download some flyers on volunteerism from my website and hand those out at her college. That's a good idea. And, and it's not an advertisement for, that. for me. I don't even mention my website on that flyer. It's not? I no, it's not. That. I think I mentioned Freekeen and some you other did. sites to get more information. But I don't really think of my site as a place to go and learn about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my, my site's really sort of propaganda, good propaganda and truthful. You know, there's good and bad propaganda. But it's truthful and stuff, and it's sort of, you know, a motivator. But it's not like to learn all the details about different things. So how do people so, download that, Dale? Um. That's a good question. <laughs> it's, it's on my um, Peace Outreach on Election Day blog post, so which is Anarchy a recent your, post. Yep. Anarchyinyourhead.com. Mm-hmm. And I've updated them recently, and we handed some out. So That's a great opportunity, too, because when you're at college, there are plenty of people that are there with you that have no clue what liberty is about. I mean, they just got out of the government high school system, and they've, of course, the government high schools do their best to indoctrinate people with a bunch of silly nonsense ideas, like we were talking about earlier. When I was in government high school, they taught me that inflation was uh, an increase in prices. Not true. Uh, so they brainwash you in the government high school. And, of course, the brainwashing continues in college. But you have more leeway in college to kind of speak freely. I remember when I was in government high school, I was told specifically by the principal that I don't have a right to free speech when I'm on government high school campus. He's right. And he's right. Um, so you do have more of an ability to reach out to people when you're in college. There's usually a commons area of some sort where people pass through on a regular basis. You could set up an outreach table or something like that. And or you could crash I, a political event and, and flyer that place, too. Yeah, I mean, of course, I just gave that as an example of something to hand out. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of other good material that can be handed out. So that's oh, just bet. what came right to the top of my mind. So. Absolutely. So find something that you like. Find something with a message that you think is persuasive and, and get it into people's hands. Well, don't forget the Free Talk Live has flyers right on our uh, site at promote.freetalklive.com. Some people, a flyer might be the best thing for them on voluntarism if if that's uh, you know the the way that you want to go. However, for some people, listening to Free Talk Live might be the best way too. So you know, getting the show into the ears of more people in whatever fashion you can do that is a good thing. Um, and, and there are other ways to promote the show besides flyering. You can also vote for the show at vote.freetalklive.com. We've talked about that. Um, I also burn think discs and hand out discs of some good shows and things like that. Discs are good. Um, I think that the uh, I think the Free State Project is a is a good organization. If uh, you know, and if as far as creating liberty in the world, I think that they're you doing a reasonably bring, good job. Well, I think you want to bring the Free State Project out when you've got somebody who's a good prospect. I'm talking about Megan. She could go sign up at the Free oh, at FreeStateProject.org. That's something she could do to to that's advance what she liberty. Asked. Right. Uh, I agree with that completely. If you want to see liberty in your lifetime and you're willing to actually uh, do something about it. You're in college, Megan, so there's no better time to get signed up for the Free State Project because once you're out of college, you're kind of a free agent at that point. You don't have a job necessarily right then, right there. You don't have strings like a house or a family necessarily or kids tying you down. Hopefully you don't have kids by the time you graduate college. Um, and then you can just pick yourself up and leave California, get the hell out of there, and come up here to New Hampshire and get around other people that are of like mind. Now, one of the other things you want to do is also – uh, continue your education, continue expanding your mind and, and uh, exposing yourself to more liberty-oriented ideas. Uh, and, of course, listening to Free Talk Live can help with that. But also, I recommend going to the Advocates for Self-Government at theadvocates.org because one of the things they're dedicated to at the Advocates is helping liberty-minded people refine their communications abilities, uh, making it so you're better at expressing the ideas of liberty. Because if you can't express these ideas effectively, you will not be able to bring people on board with them. So one of the things you want to do before you start really hitting uh, the streets hard with flyering and stuff like that is to know your stuff 
uh, before you do that. I'm not saying you have to spend a whole lot of time on this, but uh, to expand your understanding of liberty before talking to others, I think it's a good idea. Well, for the Brainiac uh, people, friends, you can uh, recommend, you know, there's all kinds of good liberty books out there. I, I know that just thinking about Murray Rothbard's The Mystery of Banking and uh, A Case Against the Fed, those are t- two great books. And, you know, they're, they're for Rothbard, the, I don't know. Seems like it's a little uh, academic. I for said my it was taste. for brainy people. Okay, gotcha. Obviously, you're recommending the advocates. How many Liberty books have you read? Hour three's coming up. You take control. This is Free Talk Live. How long can you hold your breath? Not long. After air, water is the most critical factor for life. There are dozens of toxic substances in tap water, even pharmaceutical drugs that city processing can't remove. Sadly, most bottled water isn't much better. The chemicals in the bottles themselves are a serious health concern and a huge environmental problem. Filtering your own drinking water is the logical answer. You'll have a much better quality of water and save a bunch of money, too. Aquasana filters are thorough and more affordable per gallon than even pitcher-type filters. Aquasana is consistently voted the best choice by Consumers Digest. The filters are easy to use and install. Call 866-NO-BOTTLE to order or link online through freetalklive.com. If you'd like a 20% discount, and who wouldn't, when ordering online, use the discount code FTL. Again, that's FTL. Or call toll-free 866-NO-BOTTLE and tell them we sent you to get a great discount on all Aquasana products. Drink smart. 1-866-NO-BOTTLE. This is Free Talk Live. We're launching into the third hour of the show. You can bring up whatever you want. Just dial toll-free to 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 800-259-9231. Joining you tonight, it's Ian here. And Dale. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, so enjoy those. Those other talk show hosts want to charge you for their site. Uh, we give ours away at freetalklive.com. Mark, tell me about uh, and tell our listeners about the military and the quality of the recruits these days. What's happening? This is from the Washington Post. It's tough enough selling military service to teenagers who might not be so keen on getting their heads shaved or by the whole we do more by 9 a.m. line and maybe the you know, getting that head shaven head blown into Shot little in. bitty yeah. pieces. And, and the fact that enlisting today could very well mean a visit to the front lines doesn't help either. But according to a new report, there are other factors that make recruiters' jobs even more difficult. The country's poor education system and worsening obesity crisis. Wait, wait, wait. Poor education system? I thought this was the best in the world. I don't know who you're listening to. This is America, damn it. Yeah, you're, you're wrong. It's the uh, 50th in the world. Hmm. It's it's a shame some of the countries uh, that have higher education, uh, you know, scores than we do. Well, just need to spend billions more. That'll solve the problem. Yeah, no, it won't, because those countries don't spend nearly what we spend. Hmm. <laughs> well, the problem with our uh, education in this country is the teachers' union. Gotcha. In in short. Well, it's also government in general, and the fact that they restrict competition and they don't care about. Doing anything right? It so. certainly is another. I'm I'm only looking at the big, the biggest, uh, most forefront front problem: teachers' union protecting bad teachers, um, and the government forcing good teachers to teach to a test rather than teaching their kids whatever it is they should be teaching them. Now, is this about the army or is it about the military overall? This one story. Um, it it seems to be about the military overall because we know that at least in the case of the army. 
we've been reporting over the years about their recruiting standards and how they've kind of dropped them year after year so they can keep basically they have certain goals targets that they they have to meet uh in order to you know they they've got recruiting targets that they want to meet and so they lower their standards in order to meet those targets because it's getting more difficult over time to recruit people into the military for the reasons you were stating, you know, maybe they don't want to die. Um, and so they lower their quality uh, levels, at least in the Army. I hadn't heard about that happening in the other branches. But I don't maybe, believe they have in the other Maybe branches. it has been happening. I don't know. But nonetheless, I remember the last one of the last stories we read about the Army recruiting uh, levels was that they were accepting in the dum-dums. They were really bringing in, like, the guys that couldn't shoot straight, they, uh, they're accepting them. You know, well, that kind of thing. Uh, they they pointed out that smart uh, people make smart soldiers, and smart soldiers make better soldiers, and that they would like to get more of those. Um, but you know now they're they're just not getting they're not reaching their numbers, so they're accepting a lower quality yeah. uh, recruit, and you know they're they're getting lower quality recruits. No no surprise there. About seventy five percent of the country's seventeen to twenty four year olds are ineligible for military service. <laughs> Did you hear that number? Seventy five percent, three quarters. Of the 17 to 24 year olds are ineligible for military service largely because they are poorly educated, overweight, and have physical ailments that make them unfit for the for the armed forces, according to a report issued Thursday. I thought the whole point of the military was be a place to go when you when you can't get a job. <laughs> I mean, that was I, my impression of the military. It's like I, the last ditch thing that you did out of desperation. You know? right. I think everybody who's listening right now needs to step step back and take a listen to what is being said here. Seventy five percent, three quarters of the seventeen to twenty four year olds are ineligible for military service because they're either too dumb, mm-hmm. too fat, or physically unable. Now, what I huh. say is the government has everything to do with all of these. Maybe less so on the fat issue. But um, if you talk about poorly educated, who's educating these people? The government. Okay. If you're talking about physical ailments. And how well educated do you have to be to shoot? Who's um, – follow orders. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, when, when it comes to the Army, you have to have an IQ of like 85. Mm-hmm. I, you, you're, you're, you, you have to be able to read at like a fifth grade level. Yeah, this is really disturbing. Well, it's liter- really literacy disturbing. rates have been dropping ever, ever since public they schools sure were have. implemented. So I, I can't believe these. I, this number I find too amazing to believe. This is from believe. the Army Times, is it not? No, this is from the Washington Post. Oh, okay. But, um, the, I saw the, a version of this in the Army Times. Yeah, the number came from, uh, from the government itself. Um, and their physical ailments. Now... I think that what that is is people that have uh, you know attention deficit disorder or whatever mm-hmm. Ritalin you know all that stuff that the the government schools want people to be essentially you know poor uh, special needs. If they're special needs, then it costs more to educate them. They get more money, and and you know every bureaucracy wants to grow. But the result is you you classify the kid as special needs. He can't serve in the military afterwards. So that's what this uh, physical ailments thing, I believe, is all about. Hmm. And I would suspect where some of them are going. Overweight, I think that that's a much more um, intrinsic problem, but I, I, I blame that's the a, government. Well, I mean, people rely on the government to tell them how to eat. And if you ate the way the government told you to, you'd probably be in pretty good shape these days. But they, you know, I don't Are you don't sure know. about that? Because the government has changed its recommendations over time. There used to be, the, I mentioned this on a show recently, the food pyramid is, has been flipped upside down. Like they've, they've completely switched. No, it's just upside down. That's all. 
Like it, it, it's bigger at the top than it is at the bottom. They've just changed the direction it's pointing. I was under the impression they'd actually changed the, uh, they're the recommendations. You, they're telling well. you to eat uh, uh, 17 servings of uh, candy, uh, uh, 12 servings of meat. I mean, come on. It's not upside down, dude. Okay, I just remember reading about that and uh, reading that they changed their recommendations. Maybe I'm mistaken. They have changed their recommendations, and the food pyramid is upside down. However, that does not mean that they have taken um, the, the largest amount of... How come uh, it doesn't fall over? Uh, I don't know why they have decided to, to make it upside down. But, you know, they're telling people to eat five uh, servings of fruits and vegetables or something like that. I think you probably should have a few more than that, but that's fine. And one to two servings of meat. I'm going to have but more the, than that because I'm going to eat it The food pyramid has been impacted by lots of lobbying. Like the amount of sure grain and stuff that we eat. is, yeah. is uh, We've got di- type 2 diabetes more than ever. And the amount of grain and stuff that we eat, is uh, a lot of that is lobbying. The grain industry is incredibly powerful, uh, lobbying. Sure. That's what, I, what I'm saying there is that the, they had said before that, okay, this is what you need to eat. And then they decided that, no, no, you need to eat this instead. So they haven't even made up their mind. And first of all, everybody's different. Uh, people are different. Their, their, their physiologies, their biology uh, is different. And so what is necessarily right for one person and their body type isn't necessarily right for another person. Well, so look at this, Michael Phelps. <laughs> this one-size-fits-all mentality, I think, is also somewhat damaging. I, I do. I, I, I sort of agree with that. The, the government basically makes people dependent. And therefore, when they're dependent, that they don't, uh, you know, they're not thinking about what they need for their life. So perhaps they're not thinking about what they need to eat because they're waiting for the government to tell them or whatever. I don't have any idea. But I think that it's a bigger stress to call Americans fat because of their government than it is to call Americans special needs because of their government and to call Americans stupid because of their government. Because those two things, directly responsible, uh, the, the government's directly mm-hmm. responsible. The, the obesity thing, I think it's a it's a much more cloudy issue. I think the obesity thing probably has more to do with how wealthy we are in this country and the fact that people can just afford to buy a bunch of food and eat it. Well, and, and, and a lot of the... Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the f- cheap food is also not very nutritious. It's all, you know, you can get empty calories right. pretty cheap in this country. <laughs> that that much is is, is true. You, um, you don't have an obesity problem in the deserts of uh, sub-Saharan Africa. You know? <laughs> no, but you don't have a, a a Twinkie problem there either. You That's can't go saying. you can't go down to the the the, the store and buy some uh, Zoom Zooms and Wham Whams. Well, it's 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 wealth, but it's also poor nutritional choices. They no, can afford that. to buy the treats, but. Whatever. I don't think we should, you know. Yeah, healthy food is actually quite a bit more expensive. If you go and try and, eat, you know, eat vegetables and, and, and stuff like that, the, you know, the prepackaged, a lot of prepackaged stuff and a lot of sweets and all that is, is, is really cheap, you know. I know. I just that, bought some uh, Halloween candy at 75% off at Target. Man, what yeah. a big deal. Yeah, I can't and, and, and also look heavily subsidized, you know, the corn, once again, the grain industry, corn syrup, sweetens so much stuff, heavily subsidized. Um, there's even yeah. price controls on sugar and things like that to make corn syrup. I don't uh, trust the re- government recommendations yeah. personally. I yeah. mean, just because of what you're saying there, it's too much influence. Other factors such as drug use, criminal records, and mental problems contribute to what the military uh, leaders say is a major problem that threatens the country's ability to defend itself at a time when all volunteer force is already strained fighting two wars. So, <laughs> And in bases at 150 countries around the world. This is this is the I can't believe this article. It it, it goes on, but I can't. You know, the mili- the the army won't take these people. Toll free numbers eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Texting while driving could equal fifteen years in prison in one state. We'll explain, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind. We'll go to your calls next. It's Free Talk Live eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. 
If you're paying more than $14.95 per month for DSL, you are paying way too much. It's time to make the switch to DSL Extreme, the nation's number one internet service provider. DSL Extreme is fast. And at $14.95 per month, it's cheaper than dial-up. Plus, you get free spam protection, a free modem, and 24-hour-a-day free local tech support with no setup fees. Service restrictions apply. Call 1-866-2-GET-NET. That's 1-866-2-GET-NET. Or go to DSLExtreme.com. Free Talk Live, toll-free number 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. And tonight it's Ian with you. And Dale. And Mark, you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you the features for free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. And those features include the updates. You get signed up, and we'll keep you in the loop whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live. Just go to updates. .freetalklive.com. Get on the list for free. That's updates.freetalklive.com. Are you thinking about starting a business? Here's a word to the wise. Incorporate at LegalZoom.com. Incorporation can help protect you against frivolous lawsuits that could wipe you out. LegalZoom.com is fast and easy. They do all sorts of legal documents, patents, wills, trademarks, LLCs, even no-fault divorces. Use code FTL to save $10 off your order at LegalZoom.com. To the phones, to the fun. Dave is in Michigan, and you're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Dave. Dave in Michigan, going once. I'm here. Hey, you're on the air. What's on your mind tonight? Hi. Uh, Earlier in the week, Mark was, you guys were on the swine flu topic, and Mark Mark asked a key question, you know, why all the hysteria? What's the motive behind this, right? Yes. Um, I've got a couple of of clues for you for my digging on the whole thing is that – there's been a well one I don't know if you know but the way the flu vaccine business works is that they kind of make a prediction toward the beginning of the season. Yes. Like by July they've made a prediction of what's going to be the likely strains that year, right? Mhm. And uh and there's been a lot of consolidation going on in the in the uh flu vaccine industry. GlaxoSmithKline is kind of uh really taking over the segment and they've tied up three billion dollars this year in flu vaccination research and manufacturing and such so you look at you know the corporatist connection between the state and big pharma and you might find some clues there as to where Follow the money is. yeah exactly it's always good advice another, yeah and another thing to think about is uh the other piece you were talking about there, Mark, where they um, they they ordered the states to stop testing for the swine flu. Yes, they did. And, yeah, and then they but they said, well, we're doing this. They called it sent. They have these sentinels. They called it out there that is that are doing the testing. Mm-hmm. If you go to the CDC website and dig into it, you find out that they're creating their own studies and um and they're small sample studies and the organization that they're working with on building these studies is the World Health Organization. Okay. Which is that's, that's the a UN right? organization. Yes. What's that? That's the UN. Yeah, essentially. It's very you know, they you keep hearing all of these things about how they're pushing to regulate vitamins mm-hmm. and things like that on a worldwide basis. So, you know, here here are the feds making this massive lie up about the uh, about the swine flu. Uh, I think there's, you know, the corporatist connection behind there. And then once you got the, um, 
the World Health Organization involved, then you then you wonder what's their angle. But none of it's good for us, I can tell you that. No. I remember a, a Stossel special, I believe he talked about um, how litigiousness had caused the different companies who were making vaccines to go from like 17 down to 3. From 17 uh, what? Oh, the companies, 17 the companies, companies that would make vaccines down to three. They'd gotten sued. It was an incredibly risky thing to to, to partake in. And uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe part of that is that vaccines are just a, a risky thing to begin with. I mean, you're putting you're trying to make the virus harmless and yet trigger your immune system. And, and it doesn't always work. Well, isn't like it that. the case that they've made it so that the, those three companies are essentially immune or whatever company it is that's manufacturing? Well, I this? think they almost would have to. Or they, you know, they'd have to have good deals with government. And, and if it does get to the point where they start getting sued as well, I mean, it may, I can just picture it getting be. to the point where it all has to be through the government well, and then they would be immune from lawsuits they which already make it are. that much scarier that's yeah. what's happening isn't it that, uh, that could be i don't that's, know that's correct now but see, the problem here is a degradation in contract law and if a company could say look we'll give you our vaccine which is you know such and such effective if people got uh you know and, and then they signed a piece of paper that says i won't sue if i take this vaccine i know that there are risks but the fact is there the, the vaccines aren't marketed that way the vaccine manufacturers would rather uh, you know cut out the the little guy and and uh you know push their stuff down people's throat rather than making a contract that people can uh, you know well, understand and, and agree with yeah and the upon. nice thing is for them nice for them and bad for everyone else is that now the contract is just directly through government. I mean, they're, they're have the, the government pays for all these vaccines and the mass vaccinations. The company just gets money without having to advertise to anyone, without having to convince anyone to do it. Well, the government you, you, know? you can still go to Walgreens and get this. So it's not just through the government. Well, right? that's, there's, a, there's a fair chunk of, of free vaccinations that, you know, I see. just for school yeah, children. Fact, or uh, go ahead, Dave. The amount, the amount that the Walmart is charging, I remember reading somewhere um, like if you go to a Rite Aid or whatever, and they're charging 20 bucks. That I read somewhere, and I went back to find it, couldn't find it again. But almost all of that was their service charge for doing it. That they paid almost nothing for the vaccine. It came in highly subsidized, if, if not Interesting. almost completely paid for. Yeah. So, do you have a, uh, something thing. else you wanted to share? You know, that's yeah, a good point. I I pay like 25 to get a shot. And it's just for the service because I already, I had to buy the actual shot from an, from one place. I'm getting the shots in another place, and I pay twenty five dollars just for them to give me the shot. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you guys had touched on the litigiousness there. And the other thing is, I have a child. He's seventeen months old. He has no vaccinations yet. Uh, Mark and I have talked about this once before. Um, but one of the things behind that is that the state has the federal government has a, a vaccine safety. Uh, program whereby for a pediatrician's office, if they administer a vaccine and it causes harm, there's this whole government program backing them to protect them from liability. But huh. if if the pediatrician's office sees my child who is not vaccinated, um, and and for any reason I sue that 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 practitioner for anything that may come as a result of my child not being vaccinated, even though it was my choice, they have no protection whatsoever. <laughs> hmm. So the cards are stacked, you know, definitely toward the, uh, toward the, toward the vaccination side. It's sure they are. It's, uh, Thanks for the thoughts tonight, Dave. I appreciate hearing from you, and thank you for the call at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. I think I've come down with the flu here. I, you know, I've, I've, uh, my throat started hurting yesterday. And you probably just have a cold, man. 
Now, didn't you say that the flu is where you have ache? Uh, aches in your body? Well, a, thro- a sore throat is actually really common with a cold because it's just caused by your sinuses draining and stuff like that. I usually get a sore throat when I get a cold. So what about the aching uh, muscles or whatever? That's, that's not the f- aching, I'm not a doctor, man. If you're having aching muscles elsewhere than in your... You mean not in just your throat? Yeah, you just know. in general. Flu uh, means... That could be. The, could the, be. A good indicator of the flu is you feel like you want to die. And by <laughs> want to die, I don't mean anything but want to die. I guess I've never had the flu then because I've never felt Most, that way. <laughs> it, um, you know, there, there are certainly mild cases of the flu, but... It, Every know. now and then government makes me want to die, but I get over it, so... Toll-free number 800-259-9231. Uh, you can bring up anything here. And let's see. Uh, there's, a, there's a story out of Utah about texting and driving. Now, I don't happen to think that texting and driving is the safest of activities. I, I really don't. But I don't know if 15 years in prison is an appropriate punishment. You know, so, people are probably doing it mostly at stoplights and things like that. That's probably still a, an offense. People text you know, while driving. And I mean, it's probably it fine. We'll come back and talk about it. 800-259-9231. Or you can take control of the airwaves and bring up whatever you want. This is Free Talk Live. Register now for the Republican Liberty Caucus of New Hampshire's Liberty in 2010 reception. Dr. Thomas Woods, the New York Times bestselling author of Meltdown, will be explaining the economic crisis and the role of the Federal Reserve. Successful investment fund manager Larry Lepard will share his perspective on the meltdown, including advice on how to protect your investments. Proceeds will be used to help pro-liberty Republican candidates win their primaries in 2010. Register at nhrliberty.org. That's nhrliberty.org. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. If you dial in toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Dale. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you the features on the site. They are free. They include live streams, broadband version, dial-up version, webcam, even the Free Talk Live listen lines. Get all the info. Get tuned in over at listen.freetalklive.com. That's listen. Freetalklive.com. Audiblepodcast.com offers over 60,000 downloadable audiobooks, magazines, and radio shows for your iPod or MP3 player. Try them out by downloading a free audiobook at audiblepodcast.com slash FTL. That's audiblepodcast.com slash FTL today. All right, so we continue with your phone calls because that's what uh, we do on the show. Take your calls about anything. Adam is in Canada. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Adam. Hi, Ian and Mark. I'd like to talk about Bluetooth headsets. And Dale is here, too. Passage. Welcome, Adam. And Dale. Sorry, Dale. Um, long-time listener here, not listening on the stream tonight. But you were talking about how there's new laws saying people can't text in their fo- on their cars, on yeah. their phones. So they yes. get 15 years in prison? Uh, that's well, here I, in Nova yes. Scotia, in, across Canada and America, it seems these are new laws. You know how laws tra- tend to migrate. You talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to pass these cell phone laws so that people have to rely on Bluetooth headsets. And there's a few speculations in our local papers, especially around here, that it's due to industry uh, being favored, the Bluetooth headset industry. But it's not the case. I was watching a YouTube video recently on how to eavesdrop on Bluetooth headsets. Not that I want to, but I was interested in the possibility. Mm-hmm. It's a security risk, right? This college professor, uh, his name is uh, 
His name is Josh, and you can go uh, YouTube search Josh in Bluetooth headset, and you'll find a video from a college professor who works for a security institute, what the SAMS Institute. Uh, he is actually um, showing how with an in- extended antenna, which is easy to make and conceal, that within a mile people can listen through a Bluetooth headset that is not in use. This capability is why they're trying to mandate people have to use these to talk in cell phones. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, hold on. How would you, why would you want to listen to a Bluetooth headset that is not in use? It's like a bug. Yeah, it is. You can still hear through it. It's actually built into them. He, oh, he would, he didn't even do oh. this as, uh, as, um, talking about surveillance. The point so wait, you're saying that the Bluetooth, point of information, you're saying that the Bluetooth headset is an open microphone when it's not connected uh, yes, to a call? Yes, sir. Oh, Absolutely. wow. The class built into the system that he accessed, all he had to do was call up the name of the function class, which said this is built in. All the underlying coding is done in the uh, firmware, not the software, built into the ICs on the motherboard inside there. And he accessed something called Car Whisperer. He only had to type into a command line, period, slash, Car Whisperer. That's a class in the software. And means he's accessing built-in functions that turn this car whisperer into a surveillance device from up to a mile away when it's off. So if you want to have a private conversation in your cars these days, don't carry a Bluetooth headset, period. Wow, interesting. And, and, and yes, what sir. kind of equipment did this guy have to have in order to, um, you know, to sniff out these calls? Uh, he was using uh, Bluetooth. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what the antenna was. It mm-hmm. was something... Um, it wasn't it wasn't homebrew technology. It looked readily available. Like I said, you can YouTube eavesdropping on Bluetooth headsets. He's a professor from the SANS Institute, the one of the world's most uh, premier forefront computer security um, agencies. They're a research agency on computer security. And he wasn't bringing this up out of uh, surveillance fears anyway. He didn't even touch on the subject as to why it was there. He merely used it. Pretty disturbing. So uh, heads up to anybody uh-huh. that's got one of those Bluetooth headsets. Uh, Don't carry them on you. Don't even carry it. Yeah, okay. Wow. Interesting. So I yeah. guess as long as it's turned on, right? I mean, you just have to have it. No, it... no. No, huh? I mean, you can easily make an integrated circuit that will recharge a lithium-ion battery while it's in use or being charged. You can build two batteries in and just say you're charging one of them. It'll work for the entire life of the device. Wait a minute. Uh, I'm a little confused. How could you listen to something if it's not even uh, turned on, if it's not powered? Well, you can build a battery into part of something that's supposed to be there. You could build a battery into a TFT active matrix display into the back of an LCD screen, and nobody would, nobody who wasn't looking for a watch battery or something other than that would know it was there. You can build, you can pro, um, build firmware to cap- capacitate a charge. So what you're you suggesting is that there would be some sort of you what you're suggesting battery. is you'd have to have a special headset that had a battery that never. I'm confused. Like, are you suggesting you, you, that you'd have to modify someone's headset before they? No. You, you can sell these devices, which are already uh, programmed to act this way, so they would be built to act this way, too, uh, by the mass manufacturer, to carry hidden, invisible, uh, undetectable components that are acting not only as what they are supposed to do, like a screen or a button or part of the printed circuit board, but mm-hmm. you can make any one of them into a capacitor to capacitate and provide current to a hidden microphone on a printed circuit board, and that would actually be recharged while the actual battery was being charged. Now, you're not saying that that's actually being done. You're just saying it's possible. Speculating. Okay. Yeah. But the software is in there, and it works. He used it perfectly fine. It's called Car Whisperer. That's what the manufacturers uh, named it. Thank you for, uh, for shedding light on that. It's very interesting. And uh, any other thoughts?
Thanks, Adam. Appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. This does make one wonder. Why would they name it Car Whisperer? Yeah, so open mics, basically, is what he's saying, is that a Bluetooth device could very well be sniffed out by anybody with some basic software and, I don't know, a scanner or something. I'm not well, sure I mean, exactly. they are remote devices. They're designed to interact with another device by a signal. Mm-hmm. I think that I've, I've, I had one for a little while, and it was a piece of crap, so I didn't keep it very long. Um, I, mean, I, I still have it, but it doesn't work, and I didn't fiddle with the whole process of trying to return it and everything. So, uh, and I, I think you need to click something on the Bluetooth uh, it, generally, that's how the interface works, but I'm sure that, I mean, then it interacts with the device. I'm sure there's a way to remotely trigger it by interacting with its software and make yeah. it turn on. And that's very probably what's happening. I mean, that's what the, that's what they're it has for. To be, so. Bluetooth doesn't go very far, though, so it has to be relatively close to make that happen, right? He said within a mile. Well, maybe... Hmm. It's not operating on Bluetooth uh, then. I mean, that would be some other uh, receiver that's picking up some con- kind of other wavelength because Bluetooth doesn't go that far. Is that correct, Ian? I don't know. He just said it was within a mile that he could hear Bluetooth conversations. So I don't know how far Bluetooth goes. I don't know anything about it personally. I've My understanding is it was supposed to be for short range just to avoid cords, but I don't know that that means it can't go f- farther. It may all just depend on the conditions. Uh, it wouldn't make sense that they would have powered it very heavily because you're normally just talking. It's normally just a little device that people have seen them. They're in people's ears, and they've got their cell phone on them somewhere else. So it I'm wouldn't sure have to it would transmit drain that far. pretty quickly. Well, the battery would drain pretty quickly if it were broadcasting. Right. Enough, if it I were think, able, even if even if it's able to broadcast that far, it's probably not. Uh, it's not like it's going to hold that big of a charge. The first greatest step that you need to uh, take is to not talk about blowing crap up. I mean, that's the first well, yeah. thing. That's well, we, true. you shouldn't do that anyway. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but the thing is, if you are doing it, you're going well, to... You might be selling drugs or something. Well, that, that much is true. If you are doing it and there's all kinds of uh, listening devices, because I've heard the same claims on cell phones, too. The exact same claims as these Bluetooth device claims that we're yeah. talking about here. That even if you turn them off, they can still hear. That you actually have to turn them off and remove the battery, and sometimes that won't work. You know, whatever. You've got to take your cell phone and um, shove it six uh, inches <laughs> deep into your anus before it's uh, actually... Well, that's why I keep you know, mine anyway. You can't hear so. it, right. So it just... You know that these all these claims are out there. Uh, you know, you, you just need to not have the device if that's the problem. If you're that paranoid, yeah. If you're if you're saying something that is that um, indicting toward you, then odds although, are good you shouldn't be saying it on an open. Although know, I'm sure frequency. that people will say that in jest or just venting and not really. You know, of course, you know, there's probably a, a, a million people who have said I'm going to blow something up out of because they're venting and they're angry and just like you say sure. I'm going to kill you to someone and you don't really mean it you're not nothing you never like have a, a murderous bone in your body and still say I'm going to kill you because you're so angry I think it's and, uh, best not to say know, that too you're personally. right it's not well heck I'm a I'm a Quaker so I don't think it's healthy to talk about such things anyway so absolutely though it is true though what you're saying Mark about cell phones is that if you don't take the battery out, there is a good chance that it could be remotely activated, and essentially they could monitor what you're saying. And then, and then you're once you believe once you're in that that boat, then then you're off to the next boat. I mean, at what point have the federal agents put a little uh, listening device in your car underneath, you know, to, to track yeah. where you're going in, in the wheel well? Just uh, don't, don't forget the guy who called in that said that the uh, televisions are watching us back. <laughs> I mean, come on, it's yeah. it's it's a it's a dark dark road down this uh, paranoid do highway. About webcams, though. Toll-free number 800-259-9231. Only moments remain. Enough time for your call if you make it right now. This is Free Talk Live. Do 
DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronic, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com. Moments remain. Enough time for your calls at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, so enjoy those on us. And if you like this show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, shop with us at amazon.freetalklive.com. Entering Amazon through that link will result in a percentage of your purchase Going to Free Talk Live. And you get the stuff you want. You get the stuff you need. Great prices. Amazon's free super saver shipping on a whole lot of their brand new items. Or save a few extra bucks and order used through Amazon. You can do it all. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Great way to get the shopping done that you need to do. Especially considering it's that time of year again. Christmas displays are popping up all over the place. The music is uh, already being piped over uh, the overheads at the department stores. Radio stations are flipping to Christmas music. It is uh, time for Christmas. I mean, pretty much. As soon as, as soon as it seems like even before Halloween now these days, they've got the Christmas displays going up. So that means you probably are feeling obligated to buy some presents for people. And what better way to do it than to avoid the crowds, avoid the parking lots, avoid the driving. Go to Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com and just get your shopping done. Get it done now. All right. <laughs> I love that you don't buy Christmas gifts, but you recommend that people buy Christmas gifts at Amazon. Excuse me, I have uh, purchased a gift. Well, actually, Julia's birthday is near Christmas, so. I guess so it's one. Yeah, kind of sort. What'd you get her? Tic Tac. I'm not gonna. T- I'm not gonna tell you. A pack of gum. I can't say. Th- I'm not gonna say on national radio what I bought my girlfriend. And normally I don't. Uh, you're right though, Mark. Normally I don't buy uh, gifts, and she certainly has no expectation that uh, that she'll be getting something. But I came across something that I thought would be just right for her. And uh, I think that's the perfect time to buy buy a gift. Absolutely, you find something that would be you know, and the, it's those gifts out of the blue that I think are the uh, you know the, the biggest speak you know the speak mo- most loudly of your feelings towards someone. Rather However, than the obligated gifts. Yeah. I, you know, the, I just think that you, it, it's pressure to perform. You know, I've got to get, get a good gift, and that just doesn't always go well. Yep. And I, I, I'm not a big fan either. Fortunately, as Quakers, we don't respect one day over another. Right. Well, just because I think that uh, holidays and traditions are, tend to be pretty silly, and I don't necessarily support uh, forced gift-giving or the, you know, this kind of mentality of you know, this, this obligation that to That doesn't mean family. that the wives... Girlfriends and significant others of the people listening to this show feel the same way. Exactly. I I know. I'm just saying it's funny. Am I going to get in trouble with Quakers if I sell um, like packs of of Christmas cards? Uh, I wouldn't do it at the meeting necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know, Quakerism is 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 not what it used to be. You know. (laughs) I see. All right. So the story is from the New York Times, where in Logan, Utah, in most states, if somebody is texting behind the wheel and causes a crash that injures or kills someone, the penalty can be light as as light as a fine. Utah, on the other hand, is much tougher. After a crash here that killed two scientists and prompted a dogged investigation by a police officer and local victims advocate, Utah passed the nation's toughest law to crack down on texting behind the wheel. Offenders now face up to 15 years in prison. 
The new law, which took effect in May, penalizes a texting driver who causes a fatality as harshly as a drunken driver who kills someone. In effect, a crash caused by such a multitasking motorist is no longer considered an accident like one caused by a driver who, say, runs into another car because he nodded off at the wheel. Instead, such a crash would now be considered inherently reckless. I think it's reckless to get behind the wheel if you're tired, personally. I mean, if, if, you are, if you're nodding off while you're driving and you don't stop, pull over, and go to sleep, then I think that what you're doing is, is pretty reckless. Myself. Well, I think that um, 15 years sounds just beyond the pale crazy oh, to me crazy. for anything. Um, I think that if you didn't intend to kill someone and, and uh, you know, damage, uh, you know, things, I mean, I... Maybe 15 years. Let's go through a scenario here, Ian. Um, And remember, we don't live in Liberty Land. We live in the United States of America as things are are today. Let's say you were texting while driving um, and you broadside a school bus and kill 20 kids. Do you think 15 years is uh, commensurate at that point? Well, I'm somebody that doesn't necessarily agree with... uh, Right, but we're not living in Liberty Land. Right, right. I, I have no answer to your question. I, I don't. I don't either. I'm just my trying to come view. up with it here. I think 15 years is just crazy. I'm trying to figure out at what point would 15 years be okay. I think that. Well, I think you get to the point though, is that people drive rec- recklessly for an endless number of reasons. They do, and and that's what you should be dealing with. Is did they did they cause an accident? Was it their fault? Were they not? You know, for whatever reason, was it because they were texting? Was it because they were leaning over their shoulder talking to someone in the back seat? Sure. All these, you know, they keep making up new laws for every little incident that might happen, and that's just getting ridiculous. And and there's no judgment being applied. Right. And, and I don't know what the difference is. I mean, there, I I think there is some difference between choosing to text and then. You know, looking down at the radio to change the the station, and then wham, you're up, and then there's the school bus. Um, I think there's a difference between looking over your shoulder. That's to me, that's a person who who simply shouldn't be behind the wheel at all. If you're choosing to look in the back seat to talk to someone, you are not qualified to operate yeah. a motor vehicle. Um, but uh, you know, I I don't know. I'm trying to. I it, it seems to, 15 years for texting while driving sounds crazy to me. The Utah law represents a concrete new response in an an evolving debate among legislators around the country about how to reduce the widespread practice of multitasking behind the wheel, a topic to be discussed at a national conference about the dangers of distracted driving that's being organized by the Transportation Department this fall. Studies show that talking on a cell phone while driving is as risky as driving with a .08 blood alcohol level, generally the standard for drunk driving. More risky. And that the risk of driving while texting is at least twice as dangerous. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, was, I was mistaken. I was, thought, I was saying texting. So texting, more dangerous than driving while what is considered legally drunk. Correct. Well, one difference, though, between like texting and, and driving legally drunk is that the entire time you're in your car, you're drunk, and mm-hmm. probably, uh, whereas texting might take you a minute or two. So it's probably just very dangerous for a minute or two. And people probably do it when there's like no cars right around them, or when they're at a stoplight. If or, you do it, if you're willing to do yeah. it when there's no cars around, and um, I, you know, I mean, I I can't say I've never texted while driving, but I certainly haven't done it, and I don't even have texting on my phone anymore because I'm I, I don't like texts. But um, I'm frightened of of texting while driving personally. Well, I haven't done it in a very long time, and it's because it's dangerous yeah. as heck. But I have relatively recently looked up a telephone number on my phone while driving mm-hmm. and i can find myself just kind of veering a little bit mm. in the uh in inside the lane that's I'm, scary you know, and it is it's 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 worrisome the only the only way i'll do something like that look up a number or whatever i always hold the phone up 
at the top position of Same the here. steering wheel. Yeah. That way my eyes are still going forward. And I, I also agree with Dale that if you're going to do it, you better do it at a stop sign or a stoplight or something like that. That's the that's the safest way. You know, that, that way, if you're a second late when the light hits green, no big deal, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, see, the thing about texting is, is uh, what, what you're you're playing this game. First, I can get one, I, I can get one, I can get two letters done while uh, looking down. I can get three letters done while looking down. Four letters done while looking down. Pretty soon, you're typing, you know, several words while looking down. Oh then you look back up to look at the road again, and then look back, look back down to type again, and look back up. So that's the dangerous game. Now, studies, uh, research also shows that many people are aware the behavior is risky, but they assume others are the problem. Treating texting behind the wheel like drunken driving, however, raises complex legal questions. Drunken drivers can be identified using a breathalyzer, but there's no immediate test for driving while texting. Such drivers could deny they were doing so or claim to have been dialing a phone number. Sure, if confiscate there's a... your phone and check to see when the message was sent. They may. Right. <laughs> and, and this is well th- that is one way and we'll see you know you can see how that goes but um I don't think it's it's certainly not pr- foolproof. Um I have I have probably on my phone right now unsent texts back from back when I had a text text plan. Um, so you know if a if a text is just sitting there that you know half written that is not indication necessarily that somebody was texting. Um, also you but know the phone tends it gets to, time stamped when you send it though. That's true when it's sent, but you know they they, oh. they don't send it and then get into the accident. They get in the accident while typing it. Um, what's the difference good between point. looking up a, a number um, on your cell phone, That's which a good isn't point. If illegal? If you actually managed to send it, you probably didn't get in an accident. Yep. But it, now, are they going to pull you? Are they, do you have to be in an accident for this? Did I miss that? Depends. I'm sorry. It depends. Okay. The, the story is about people who get into a fi- uh, fatal wreck okay. and that they could be facing up to 15 years, but there are places in which you are banned from texting while driving. Just so in theory, a cop could see you and say, oh, he's Theoretically. texting. Theoretically. But, what's, but this, this is what I'm trying to get into here is, um, you know, if I'm looking up a telephone number on my phone, it looks like texting. Right. It's the same look to, a, right. to an officer. There's no way to tell the difference. So what is the difference between texting and looking up a phone um, phone There's number? No difference. I mean, yeah, if, if I'm cruising the Internet on my cell phone while driving, is that safer than texting? We need another law. Right. This is the thing. <laughs> it's, it, you know, the, the law just, it, 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 it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. I think that reckless driving is reckless driving, and it doesn't matter why you're doing it. I think that reckless driving is reckless driving, and I don't care if it's uh, because of you having too much to drink or you being too sleepy or you're texting or looking up a phone number or talking to somebody in the back seat. I I think that reckless driving should be the issue, and if somebody does get into a wreck and somebody causes damage, if you get into a wreck with a tree, meh. Okay, yeah. you don't really have to pay any restitution there. It, but it doesn't you, matter why, you know. It's it's like the whole notion of like crimes for um, what are they called? A hate crime. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you kill someone, that's pretty hateful. I mean, it doesn't matter. And I think restitution is what needs to be paid here. Putting a kid in uh, jail for 15 years isn't going to help anything at all, except uh, help people out of money to keep that guy in a jail cell. Whereas if you were to, you know, have to make him. Uh, pay the families to make them whole, I think that would solve the problem. We'll see you tomorrow night, freetalklive.com. The following edition of the Mark Interview Series is brought to you by the Free Talk Live AMP program. Become a Free Talk Live amplifier today for as little as 3 bucks a month. Get perks and help us get on more radio stations and more internet connections at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com, and here's Mark. Okay, so the the Edgington Post interview series continues, and today I've got with uh, with me Daniel McNichol from uh, it, it's a he's the director of a movie called Reclaiming the Blade, and it's um, from Gladia Films. And I'm Daniel. Are you there? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Can you hear me? 
Yes, yeah. I, I'm not going to. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to try to explain the film. I'm going to let you try to explain the film. So, so tell me about reclaiming the blade. Sure. Well, uh, you know, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah. The film actually is is, is about um, Western martial arts and fight choreography in uh, films. That's kind of the the um, I, I guess the main themes of the movie. But we also um, take a couple of detours in the movie, and we talk about. Uh, you know, the symbolism of the sword and, and how the sword as a weapon was, before the gun was invented, was, was pretty much uh, uh, not only a symbol for man's freedom, but an actual um, device, you know, that was used for protection and also um, uh, for keeping uh, the, the kings in check. So, um, so it's a very interesting um, symbol and also weapon, and uh, so that's what the movie's about pretty yeah. much. You know, I I did come up with uh, you know come away from and I thought the movie was excellent. I can't uh, I can't speak more highly of it. I I felt like I I, I watched. I, there's an extra disc with it. I watched every single bit of uh, the information that I got on that extra disc too. It was uh, it was really cool. But what I realized was that there is a martial tradition from Western Europe, and whenever you hear about martial arts, you you think about East you know the, the East, the Orient, um, the places like that. And, you know, we had our own traditions and our own arts and, uh, you know, that, that those those are valid and they, they were working. They just weren't recorded in the same fashion. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and that was something that I discovered. Um, I was actually um, writing a screenplay at the time and, and I was working on a uh, sort of an epic romance, sort of a it's, it's a bit like a gladiator type movie, if you yeah. can kind of uh, just equate with that. And um, while I was researching that, trying to come up with, uh, you know, how to write some of these, these scenes with, with battle scenes and whatnot, I went on the Internet and noticed there were just tons of groups out there that were studying Italian rapier techniques and uh, German longsword techniques and, um, you know, uh, broadsword stuff from England. It was just really neat to see all of these groups that were taking the old uh, manuscripts from history and actually learning the martial arts that surrounded those. And then the movie kind of blossomed from there because we went all, we traveled all over the world uh, to shoot the movie, and we ended up taking a, a, a pretty good journey into Hollywood films. And that was a lot of fun, too, because you can't really talk about martial arts or swords today in our time without having these images of, of you, know, you know, the classic Hollywood swash, swashbuckler. So right. We did some really cool interviews with uh, people like Bob Anderson, who trained Mark Hamill and Johnny Depp, and, you know, kind of a legend in Hollywood who, who just, you know, um, started off as a fencer but made his way into Hollywood, uh, you know, just teaching uh, uh, sword techniques to, yep. um, to actors and producers. So. Speaking of actors, um, before we get into this too far, I want people to, uh, to realize the, the caliber of actors that you've interviewed for this uh, show, but just, so, just in case they got the impression, for whatever reason, this is one of those uh, two-bit documentaries. So rattle them off for me, if you would. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I guess I've gotten pretty good at this. Yeah, um, it's important. You know, it's the publicity, but, um, but yeah, no, Viggo Mortensen is in the movie, who was uh, obviously uh, Eastern Promises, and he, he was... Uh, um, Strider and, and Lord of the Rings. Uh, the film is narrated by my good friend John Reese davies uh, He actually um, was part of the story process a little bit, and, and just, um, he's a great guy. Of course, Indiana Jones, he was in Indiana Jones and Lord of the Rings, and just a 
tons of other movies. Right. I didn't know uh, what everything. Are, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I'm not great with actors or anything, but I certainly recognized his face and his voice was phenomenal. He was the perfect narrator for it. And if I could gush a little bit, I think that John Rhys Davies was uh, was was an incredible part of this film. Yeah, he was. You know, uh, you, we, we we looked into other narrators for a while. Um, you know, we kicked around some other great voices, like Liam Neeson uh, was was kind of thrown out there for a minute, and it kind of came back to the to the fact that John was just really interested in the story and believed in it and thought it was a great movie that needed to be made. So that that alone was that that's what sold us on him because not only does he have a great presence, a great voice, but he's actually done a bit of publicity with me and. Um, you know, he is a big believer, uh, in, you know, the Second Amendment and, and the kind of the little subtlety things we put in there. Uh, uh, you know, he really uh, was excited about that and um, and just wanted to be a part of the film. So that, that was great. And we also interviewed Carl Urban, who was in the new Star Trek film this summer. Uh, he's done a bit of swashbuckling himself uh, on uh, a number of films. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, we went to Weta Workshop, where we sat down with Richard Taylor and John Howe, who was the illustrator and designer for Narnia and Lord of the Rings, and um, gosh, he, he worked on King Kong and, and just a, a lot of movies. Um, but working with those guys was fun because we got to see how they actually produced the movie uh, sword props. And I, I, I almost hesitate to say props because um, if you've seen any of the, the Lord of the Rings behind uh, the scenes footage, you know these swords are just breathtakingly real. Yeah. Um, and and um, they're, well, uh, that is the ones that, that are for the close-up shots. They just look amazing. And it was fun to be able to take some HD cameras and just, you know, really get in close and show the, uh, the beauty of, of these swords. It, you know, um, I, I, I agree entirely, and the movie certainly has some great shots of that. And I don't have an HD TV, but I'm sure that the people that do will really enjoy that portion of it. But... Um, you know, it, it brings me sort of to a question. Yes, the the movie was uh, certainly about the right of the individual to be armed, and it was about the sword. And I guess I have kind of this, uh, you know, it left me with the impression that the sword sort of was a was in fact a tool of the nobility because it couldn't be used in the same way that the gun could. Like, the average person can get a gun, and they can be re- use it relatively quickly with relative facility, and, um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an expensive one in order to be good, whereas uh, what was in the movie was essentially that a, um, you know, a sword maker, uh, I don't even know what to call somebody like that, the blacksmiths that made swords uh, really well, the, the, that those guys were, as you said in the movie, worth their weight in gold, and... So therefore, if a nobleman draws his sword against, you know, some guy who's not so noble and just happens to have a pointed piece of metal um, that, you know, it looks like a sword, but it's not, you know, it's not one of the swords made by these craftsmen that fold it 11 times and then put, you know, put a beveled edge on it and all this other stuff that essentially it's just going to shatter that guy's sword. And he's, you know, the the fight's going to be over relatively quickly. Do you know what I mean? That like it, it it's Absolutely. kind of it's kind of a tool of nobility. It's kind of a tool of autocracy. Yes, it was. Uh, you know, it was definitely both. I think the common man's weapon to in certain eras. Uh, it was, but it was also a very privileged weapon. You know, I, I liken it to the lightsaber in the in the Star Wars. You know, the, the Jedi. Uh, you know, were I guess were sophisticated enough to be able to wield a lightsaber, and right. the rest of the guys had blasters. You know. Yeah. So, and I think that that really harkens back to 
what it took to be good with a blade. It took time. It took money. It took resources. Mm-hmm. And um, at first, I think the, um, the the trainers, the sword masters of ancient times, were they were a little bit of a, of a seedy group for a while. They were kind of looked upon as, as, you know, just a little bit reckless. And, you know, who are these crazy guys, you know, training others uh, in the art of, of death, really? Um, so for a while, they were kind of looked at as, a, as a, you know, uh, kind of a bit dark and, and mysterious. But, um, you know, as, as the, uh, there were a couple of kings of, of France and some other kings of Germany and this royalty that actually got into uh, the art of, of, of sword, uh, you know, sword play. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of, I think, legitimized it a bit and, and really made it, um, uh, well, an effort that was, Certainly worth pursuing uh, from a, from a strategic standpoint. You know, if your knights uh, are able to uh, to, to deal um, to deal out, uh, you know, whatever whatever justice uh, the king might want uh, with a sword, you know, then that that would certainly um, you know play well with their ambition. So did um, many? But you know, another, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry. Did did many kings know how to fight with a sword? Was that common, or that was that would have been an, a, a sort of early uh, middle Middle Ages kind of king role? Um, certain ones, and um, you know, I, I don't, I don't make any pretense of being an expert historian. You know, a sure. lot of times, while doing the movie, I'm worried about the, you know the camera shots, the angle, of the story, <laughs> and so. But but I, but I've you know, and I've, I've you know, I've had a great time talking with these experts, you know, in the film afterwards, and and, and to, to the best of my knowledge, yes, there were to answer the question, um, there were certain kings. I'm, I'm Wishing I could name which ones, but I know there was a king of England, very famous king that that was uh, quite, uh, you know, quite good with blade. And there were some French and and German uh, nobility as well. So it was yes, it was definitely something that the nobility, um, you know, kind of latched onto and really. Uh, pursued this art. You'd think that they would. I mean, it, the, if if essentially the sword is the weapon of the, the the highest trained killers in the land, you would want your killers to be better than everybody else's killers at doing it. And I and and you know to to digress for a second, I played uh, racquetball for a while, and and I used to think about well, how can I make a play that's going to confuse and disorient my opponent and. Uh, to a great de- to to a great extent, that's what the martial arts and uh, sword play are about. Is uh, you know doing the thing that your opponent doesn't think that they're going to do that you're going to do, and you know sort of confusing them. So I, you would think that that would be something that they would want for their uh, their knights and and men at arms. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So um, it it was something that uh, that, that um, you know from the craft point of view too it was very much a a rich man's game in a sense because. As you were mentioning before, you were quite right in saying that um, you know to make a good quality sword, uh, something uh, of a real technological sophistication. You know whether it's from Asia, because the the uh, the sword makers from Asia were just phenomenal as well, and mm-hmm. and uh, and the science behind it is is quite um, quite uh, complex. But um, you know, as you pointed out, you know it it, it takes uh, some money and some resources to create a sword versus you know a guy with just uh, you know a pike. Mm-hmm. So so these swords mm-hmm, had to be made uh, a certain way, and it took a lot of time, and it took a master swordsmith uh, with with the technology, uh, which was quite coveted as well. So I know there were a lot of uh, you know they were they they didn't want the information to get out exactly how they were you know, creating a sword that could cut and, and be flexible 
enough to be able to take a hit but not break, right. not be brittle. So, so yeah, it, it's interesting. The sword itself, um, you know, lends itself to that as well, and it's 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 very expensive. I, I mean, you know, even even today, sure, <laughs> they're they're not cheap. What I noticed, they aren't, but um, you know, they they are significantly less uh, expensive as they would be just with modern technology than they would be, um, you know, at, at that time. Uh, you know, just the the technology's oh, yeah. increased. I saw them using little computer laser machines, cutting swords and stuff like that, and that has yeah. to be significantly che- cheaper than than some guy. Oh, I, sure. you, yeah, it's just cheaper. Yeah. There was you, you had some guy in the movie who essentially makes his own swords now the old fashioned way, which um you know, I mean, is clearly a hobby as opposed to a um you know, any I mean, you know, he's he's spending months making a sword kind of uh situation. Yeah. So you know, I would I can only imagine yeah. that uh what what it you know, how much cheaper it is with the uh, the cutting machines that we have these days. Yeah, that that was Paul Champagne from New York uh State who was um uh... The, the swordsmith. He actually, uh, unfortunately, passed away really? uh, shortly after the film. Yeah, he looks so was, spry. You know, yeah, great guy. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, I, I, I believe he, he had a heart attack, and uh, <sighs> so you just never know. But but I'm so glad that we were able to um, sort of um, you know expose what he was doing because what a phenomenal guy. He went. He did a lot of studying in Asia and Europe. Uh, you know, just researching how the swords were made the old-fashioned way, and uh, what a phenomenal guy. It was but incredible. He, he, exactly, the way he produces them and the way others produce them, yeah, I mean, there are certainly levels, but back then, it would have been, to own a sword it would have cost, it would have been your life's, uh, you know, uh, work to just have a sword, and it would have been the most expensive thing you would have owned, yeah. and it would have been the most technologically advanced thing that you would have had in the house. Um, so sure, and it would have been uh, protected and passed down, and so yeah, they were very much a part of society in, in right. many ways. You know, and and to to some extent, they did. You were there was some museum, and I I'm, I'm sorry that I don't. I, I saw the film, I enjoyed the film. I don't have everything memorized, but there was some museum of swords that was on the second disc there, and they were showing different types of swords. And one of the implements they showed was essentially a a, a farmer's machete that he might keep in the um, in the field to sort of protect himself. Um, you know, there, and I. You know what? What would it, you know, sort of be? I, I guess let's let's play Marvel. What if for a second? What if a, um, a, you know, a knight with a sword came up against the farmer with his, you know, sort of elongated machete thing? How would that go? What what, what would happen if if for whatever reason they wanted to kill the farmer? I don't know. Well, you know, uh, as, as as one uh, gentleman put it in the film, you know, uh, it would probably be. You know the death of of the farmer for sure because I would think so yeah uh, yeah yeah the the sword would 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 likely break wouldn't hold up his his, uh, his implement of, his his machete thing would would break yes absolutely and I think I think the other thing you have to remember is, is you know what time period because um, before the evolution with metals uh, where they were combining alloys and creating stronger yet lighter uh, uh, metals than mm-hmm. than you know back in in the uh, Iron Age where it was just more you know bronze iron you know that material will break it's very brittle actually mm-hmm. uh, and that's the worst thing that can happen to you in a battle is to have your sword break because if that happens you know you're done for you're screwed you know um, yeah absolutely so so the science was all about creating a sword that was light flexible and yet strong yeah and that's why they actually were 
composed of seven different elements. It wasn't just one piece of steel. It was it was actually you know various uh, you know uh, metals at different um, uh, you know um, I guess uh, textures. So again, quite complex. So so certainly the the gentleman with the with with the with the uh, you know proper sword would would certainly uh, be at an advantage. Now um, another thing that they had in there is they had you know swords from all different ages and one of the the, the sword that conquered Europe and uh, you know the the whole Mediterranean was the the gladius uh, that was uh, you know the the Roman soldier had and this wasn't a particularly long weapon but it you know it was produced in mass and I can only imagine what that cost and, and you know what the cost of is raising raising an army and so they had a system sort of for fighting where they'd put their shields up and they'd sort of poke over and try to get somebody in the clavicle and and cut underneath and catch you in their your Achilles but um what was that sword like from a meter, meteorological standpoint I mean was it somewhat you know how how did that work well, you know, sword, sword, and, and shield is is certainly a. I think you, you you said it quite well. I mean, it was it was more of a thrusting weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, it, it wasn't uh, something you could really parry with or, or block with. That's what your shield was for, was for yeah. blocking. But as as you quite rightly, uh, you know, um, estimated this that that sword was perfect for you know just getting in here or getting in there, and 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 of course they began to develop armor. Uh, you know, head armor, plate armor, shoulder armor to to keep from you know, uh, you know, from from avoiding you know spears, lances, um, arrows, and swords. So um, so it was a rough game, no doubt. And I think as John Howe, you know, no, you know, John Howe pointed out, I think it was quite interesting. Getting back to the movie, yeah, uh, the choreography, it, it, he pointed out. He said, you know, if we could see a real sword fight on. Green. It it might shock us a bit. It might be a little a little too much. But having said that, nevertheless, I think there's a there's a there's a bit of a change coming uh, with some of the current films and some of the films that are coming out now. We're seeing more films that are that are taking a look at these ancient manuscripts that actually detail how to fight with a sword. And again, that's the really exciting thing about it is people are actually reading. They're translating the German manuscripts, the Italian manuscripts, and 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 they're just and they're actually. Uh, uh, teach. They're being taught by someone who had actual experience with fighting with a sword on a battlefield, and, and so that's the neat thing about it is it's a real connection to history. Yep. What I find that Hollywood does is is the same thing they do with fist, fist fights and uh, you know any kind of fight is by and large they drag out what usually um and they're gonna they're, what they're gonna do is they're gonna take what's sensational and uh the sensational battles take a little while to uh to do but in fact you know <laughs> most most fights are not too many thrusts not too many strikes and it's over yeah yeah, yeah that's true uh, you know a lot of these duels would have been very short very quick uh perhaps and and you think about the chariot as well. I've, I've been, I'm, I'm working on another film that I'm doing with David Mickey Evans, who uh, wrote and directed Radio Fly and Sandlot, and some wonderful producers, Ned Dowd, who did Count of Monte Cristo. Anyways, it's just just got a star team right now working on this movie. It's called Glastonbury, Isle of Light. But the story takes place in the first century, so we're looking at chariots, uh, which to me is really cool. You know, thinking about... Uh, again, there's a separation between the nobility and, and you know, the foot soldier and the, and the nobility typically were in the chariots. But they would ride in on these things. 
and they would have, uh, uh, you know, somebody that was actually driving the chariot, and, and the, um, the warrior would be on the back end of the chariot. And they literally would jump off these things, fight, again, as you say, quick, quick um, battles, individual battles with, with people on the field, and then just move as quick as they can. And then their, their driver would come back through, literally, and, and pick them up. You so know? you're talking and, about the... Yeah. You're talking about the Anglo-Saxon chariot, is that correct? Sure, sure. Yeah. Interesting. Now you won't, you you won't. I don't think that's been in any movie ever or that I've ever seen. And uh, this is, it's it like hasn't. a, it's yeah. like a cart that's suspended with uh, leather straps as shocks, and they kind of ride yeah. it like one would ride, say, a radio flyer, um, uh, you know, uh, wagon, um, but it's bigger. Yeah. And they, they they're sort of hauled in there. They hop off. They hack the the heck out of a. Uh, some of the, uh, the the hired slaves that are there to fight, and then they they jump on, and then they, they they're out of there again. And yeah, it was amazing. That's very exciting that, that that's going to be included in a movie. I'm I'm excited about well, that. Now, this this movie also has an aspect of Star Wars in it, and I think that it's um you know you, you pretty much have to talk when you're talking about swords these days. You do have to talk about the lightsaber, and um you know it, it there. Tell me about the lightsaber and modern swords. Well, uh, the lightsaber, um, you know, as a, as a, you know, you cannot, you can't, you can certainly understand why George Lucas uh, brought the sword into the future. I mean, it's a no-brainer. You know, the sword has this, has this illustrious, uh, you know, um, you know, I guess story that comes along with it, and it just, it, it carries so much weight. So. To bring it into the future was just brilliant. I think Bob Anderson, who was the sword master on the Star Wars, original Star Wars films, uh, who, who, again, taught Mark Hamill how to wield a lightsaber, uh, actually was in Bob Anderson, who we got to interview and, and hang out with. Great guy. He actually was in Darth Vader's costume, too. Yes, he did the, um, he did the fights. Doing, he, he, he did the fights, yeah, yeah. There were a number of people that actually played Darth Vader. You have James Earl Jones' voice. You have... Uh, you have that big blonde um, guy, Brown. whatever he is. Sure, the big guy who kind of marched around and had the presence, but yep. Bob Anderson did all the sword work. Right. And now, he, and he seen with uh, yeah, Vader and the sword. What I thought was interesting about the lightsaber is it is a slashing weapon as opposed to a thrusting weapon, by and large. And I I felt that he modified the swords play and and your your movie sort of educated me enough that I was able to appreciate it um, that he modified the sword play in Star Wars to make sort of a more of a slashing um, uh, you know sort of fight than a than a thrusting fight. Yeah, it's almost a combination. Uh, there's certainly some Asian Asian elements in there. It's a, it's almost a combination between a samurai sword and kendo uh, techniques. Combined with a hand and a half, what they call the hand and a half sword from Europe, a broad yeah. sword that you would do hands on, That's and um, you know, as opposed to a, you know an Italian rapier or something more delicate that you would wield with one hand, or a dagger, as you said, with a shield. Now, so um, it, 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 oh, t- t- terribly sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was. It's just sort of the combination of those two, and that's um, you know another another uh, interesting aspect to it. Now, Daniel, um, I've, I've, we pretty much we got to get. Uh, I've got to get running here, but the tell tell pe- tell people how they can get this movie because I you know I really enjoyed it, and I want other people to enjoy it too. Sure, it's available on our website GalatiaFilms.com. Uh, that's G A L A T I A Films. It's also on iTunes. It was the number one uh, documentary on iTunes last month. So that's we were right. Very excited about that. You can get it at, at Best Buy. It's currently at Best Buy and other fine retailers, as they say. And 
I, I, I can't go until I, I let folks know that we are actually going to be doing some giveaways with you that I'm very excited about, I heard. Yes. And so we'll be giving away an actual real European sword, like a really good one made by this company called Albion Swords. Great stuff. And then we're also going to be giving away through your radio station some lightsabers, I believe. Yep. Uh, some of the Force FX collectibles from Hasbro. These things are just phenomenal. They're very, very cool. And I played with them this Halloween, and they're just, they're just great. So we'll send you a couple so you can see what they look like, and, and hopefully we can give some of those away with you. And also we're giving away stuff on our website, which is reclaimingtheblade.com. Uh, so check it out there, and uh, that's pretty much it. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, Daniel McNichol from reclaimingtheblade.com. Have you heard of the Millionaire Patriot? You should. He has a free handgun and five days of firearms training waiting for you. That's right. You can attend five days of world-class gun training at Front Sight Firearms Training Institute and secure a 30-state concealed weapon permit, all for pennies on the dollar. Plus, if you act fast, the Millionaire Patriot will give you a free Springfield Armory XD pistol in the caliber of your choice. Now is the time you and your family need to be armed and trained to levels that exceed law enforcement and military standards. Front site provides such training without any boot camp mentality or drill instructor attitudes. And the Millionaire Patriot is paying his own money to help you get it. This is real. Thousands have already taken advantage of it, and you should too. Don't miss out. Secure a front sight defensive handgun course plus 30-state concealed weapon permit for pennies on the dollar. And get your free handgun. Go to frontsight.com today. That's F-R-O-N-T-S-I-G-H-T dot com. Go to frontsight.com for your training and free handgun. Attention, all active duty members and veterans of the U.S. military. Your proud service to your country entitles you with the right to participate in special VA loan programs with benefits not available to the general public, like the ability to purchase a new home with no down payment or mortgage insurance, or refi with cash out up to 100% of your present home equity with less strict credit criteria. You are entitled to these benefits. Review them online at varadio.com. This is Tim Lewis from iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I want you to know that as a member or veteran of the United States military, you've earned special rights and privileges. On your feet and get the details at varadio.com. iFreedom Direct Corporation is a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, certain restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to varadio.com. varadio.com.